Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And as you can tell from the title, we're talking about Stranger Things 2, the second season of Stranger Things. And like every show, I have a guest with me, and I have a returning guest and a person that him and I have been talking about for at least a week about doing this uh, this topic to discuss with uh, the viewers, listeners, I should say, not the viewers, we're not... We're not Can they see us? I, I hope they don't care. If they can see us, it would be kind of... I'm uh, a little scared right now. Yeah. We have these windows and doors right near us. Just surrounded that, by glass. We just, we look at like that... Uh, imagine someone just popped up right now. That would be kind of freaky, but it, like... And, Jump scare on the podcast. Oh, jeez. And uh, who am I speaking to today? My name is Chris Maffei. Hi. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine and dandy. Well, that's good. Yes. Thank you for inviting me here. Of course. I love this show. I'm glad you do. And it's it's always a pleasure to have you on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, especially whether on mic or off mic. The funny thing is that whenever we get together, especially if we're going to record something or do something, like whenever we hang out, it's like, all right, we'll come over, we'll come over and watch the movie. It's a two hours of just talking before we get to our initial plans of what it's yep. going to do. Our non-existent Patreon content that we that we do before we do anything else. <laughs> yes, exactly. That like we, like we could theoretically be charging people if we really no wanted one would, to. no one would pay for our conversation. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> or would you? Or, Let us know. Yes, uh, please uh, tweet at us if you really want to. Uh, for future podcast development, hint hint, wink wink, nudge nudge. nudge. <laughs> uh, but. And since we're going to be talking about Stranger Things Season 1 and 2, I'm going to give out the spoiler warning because Stranger Things 2 is a little over a week old at this point, so people may have not seen the entire season yet. So right now, if you have not seen all of Season 1 and 2 of Stranger Things, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of it, so do not complain to us when you say, Why? Why did you tell us that? I mean... If it's kind of like how don't end up like that guy in the line and Family Guy when Peter spoils that uh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad or something like that. I don't want to hear any complaints like that. So, with that said, let's uh, enter the upside down and start talking about Stranger Things season two. When did you first hear about the idea of Stranger Things in the first place? I was pretty late to the game, actually. When did the first season drop? Do you know offhand when the first season actually came out? Was it around this time last year? Yes, I believe or... it. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was November. I don't think it was in October. It may, mm, I may be wrong. Or was it, it two years ago? No, it was last year. Because I distinctly remember it being springtime. So, all right, so maybe it was around – it might have been around when Luke Cage came out. Not, I'm all mixed up in, in when 
I, I figured out when I found out about the show. But I think it was around when one of the Marvel Netflix shows dropped because uh, this was in a time where I didn't have Netflix just every month. I would like pop in for a month if a show dropped that I wanted to watch and then I would cancel my subscription the next month just to save the money because I wasn't always on it. But while I was there, while I'd already watched something else, I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Like I did, I haven't even heard anything about it other than a few mentions of it on podcasts of people being like, oh, yeah, I'm totally into Stranger Things, but that was months before. Mm -hmm. So I knew of the name, but I didn't really know all that much about it. And then uh, I was, I had Netflix for the rest of the month, so I was like, all right, let me just burn down these eight episodes and, you know, no time flat. And I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I actually wound up liking it more than whatever Marvel Netflix show I was watching that I actually signed up for Netflix for. So pretty good deal there. But... Yeah, so it would have been, you know, probably a few months after it came out, and um, I just I fell in love with it instantly. It really, it, like, right from the beginning, I was like, oh yes, this is I, all of my neurons are like firing and like synapses and like things happening in my brain. You had a transcendental experience while yeah. watching it. <laughs> yeah, it was like getting a massage and like listening to like an ASMR video and like being given a thousand dollars at the same time. That's quite vivid. Yes. <laughs> um, I remember when I first heard about this, it was actually the week before Comic-Con 2016. And I remember because I was on IMDb at that point, and that's when, like, you see, you'll hear, or no, no i say when you, before big shows or big movies come out, IMDb will kind of, like, help customize the homepage for it. And it was Stranger Things on the side panel of the homepage. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this looks just very familiar which is something that obviously the show plays into and it kind of plays into nostalgia of, of 80s culture. But it just reminded me of very much like how J.J. Abrams su Super 8 and like how the – or covers for like Stephen King novels and very very Spielberg – Spielberg – Spielbergian. <laughs> I'm having trouble articulating myself today. Spielberg-like. There we go. Um, so I'm like, all right, that seems, that seems rather interesting. And then when it dropped, I was actually like, oh, all right, I'll, um, I'll eventually get to it. But then, of course, being on social media that weekend and seeing how it kind of just ballooned into a pop culture, becoming part of the zeitgeist, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll check it out. And so I was a little, like, maybe a week or two behind when I finally saw it. And I remember watching it and then, like, finishing up with – because my sister and her husband uh, were watching it. And they were up to the last episode. And that's where I was up to. So I went over to their house, kind of like how – how articulated it's like oh it's like oh it's a, a season finale or something like that like let's like let's get friends together and watch it and have a really cool group experience so that's what i did when they got up to that point that was a little after the week after the first season dropped and i was amazed by it i was really taken with all the characters and the iconography that they're playing with and the ideas they're playing with it being a coming of age story with a science fiction tv show and because I, I had I've enjoyed J.J. Abrams' Super 8, which is kind of a throwback. I know people have problems with it because they say it's too much like the stuff it's kind of uh, homaging or ripping off, as some people would say. And it's just, it, I'm like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't bash on it too much. I think of how I explain it. It's like, all right, Super 8 had two hours to tell its story. Well, Stranger Things had eight hours. So, of course, you have more time to dedicate to things. And everything can kind of grow organically 
And so I'm like, all right. And so in the meantime, between seasons one and two of Stranger Things, I end up rewatching Super 8. I think I end up getting it on Blu-ray because I hadn't gotten it at this point because I really wanted to watch it again. And I'm kind of thinking once we're finished recording, I think that's what we're going to fall asleep to tonight. I've actually never seen that. Really? Yeah. It's very much like E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and the Goonies. And it like of kids growing up and and like and but also revolving around the idea of like Super 8 being kind of like a prosumer uh, recording device for filmmakers at the time and how and it's very it is very similar because there is a prominent cop character there is an out there is a woman that falls in love with or like the main character falls in love with a girl and everything so but it has also has like one of the most heartbreaking openings to a movie I've ever seen and it's just done very subtly and it's and I really love it but, um, and so after that, I was like, all right, I guess then a little after that, then we get the announcement that Stranger Things 2 is actually happening because Netflix keeps their numbers very secretive of how many actual people watching it. It's not like the Nielsen boxes that you have in TV houses, I mean, in houses for regular TV shows. And so Stranger Things 2 was announced. What were your thoughts and ideas and what your expectations was going to season two? Well, Whenever there's a new season of a show that I like coming out, I try not to dwell on possibilities of what can happen and what's going to happen and just keep an open mind. Because for me, I don't get so much hung up on, you know, plot points and story beats and arcs and things like that. My deal is, do I love these characters? If the answer is yes, then I'm pretty much up for whatever they're going to do. Right. So when I found out that there was going to be a second season of Stranger Things, I'm just sweet. All right. I love these characters. I'm ready to spend some more time with them. I'm ready to spend some more time in Hawkins. So for me, it was just like, I'm in because they've earned it for me. They've earned it to this point where I'm like, all right, I, you know, I will gladly sit down for eight or nine hours and watch this show. And as quickly as possible, because the Duffer brothers did an amazing job at season one. And I'm completely on board. Nice. And I was really excited for it as well, but I did have hesitation because because season one flew under this radar and it was such a surprise for everybody. Kind of like how my feelings are with the second chapter of It, that it became such a part of pop culture at this moment. Expectations are going to be super high. And like, do I was worried that it was a fluke that they couldn't live up to it. I mean, you think of Arrows season one and two, mm. then you get the Arrows season three. And because like, we're all up on the high of that and you're like, Oh wow, this is really good. Or you think of like Batman begins the dark Knight, and dark Knight rises. Some people thought the expectations were too high and then rises. would kind of suffer from that. Or you, another example that you think of Avengers versus Avengers age of Ultron, et cetera, et cetera. I can keep going on. So, I was hesitant because there's going to be so many prying eyes on this season going into it. So I was like, I'm excited for it. I'm going to be there when it happens. But you know, the wolves are going to be out for yeah, this show. Exactly. And I'm like, I just don't want it to be like, oh, it's good, but it's not as good as season one. I'm like, oh, are you just saying that because you have such an attachment to the first season or you or think like another question I'll, I'll ask you is that. The big surprise for you last year was Riverdale. How has season two been so far for you? 
well, season two of Riverdale is like, it took this completely insane thing that came out of nowhere and was like, oh, I didn't know that I needed this. I still don't need it, but goddamn, I love it. <laughs> and it took it and it like, it's somehow juiced it up on steroids to the point where now it's like, I don't know how they're going to stretch this thing out for 22 episodes and be this insane every episode. But if they're going to do it, then again, I'm buckling up. I'm on board. Mm. So I guess kind of in this, in the similar way where stranger things, like you said, came out of nowhere, took everyone by storm. And now it's at the point where you're almost, you know, you're anticipating the people be like, Oh, well, you know, the show's overhyped now. Oh, you know, all the fanfare and everything, but it wasn't that good. Cause you know, that that's just the nature of what people do. They take something, they love it for a little while. And then when you, they get more of it, they just cast, yeah, I don't need this anymore. I don't want it. Unless it were to go away. If they didn't make a, or if they didn't make a season two, then it would be like a freaks and geeks thing where, Oh, what could have been? Yeah. This would have been the greatest show of all time. And so it's just the nature of how people are. And think of Arrested Development coming back sure sure i'm not totally familiar with that but i hear enough about it on podcasts that it's like i kind of get the same type of feeling right and it's just the nature of what people do and fortunately i stay away from social media so it's kind of like i don't hear a whole lot of that and the only stuff the only you know i read maybe some articles stuff Mm -hmm. like that and, and listen to some podcasts and that's where i get a sense of what people are saying and of course talking to people in in real life but um, it wasn't until I started reading some articles, listening to some podcasts that I heard a lot of the, um, kind of dissenting voices about Stranger Things season two that for me, just watching it isolated in my own little bubble that I didn't even think about or didn't, didn't see and didn't have some of the problems that some other people had. Whereas maybe had I been on social media, I might've got into certain episodes a certain seventh episode, maybe with a different point of view, and maybe with my, you know, my hands on my hips. Luckily, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll get into episode seven later on. But I just say, luckily, I did not have that predisposition going yeah. to episode seven. Yeah, but um, I love I love how my notes are. I, I I'll, I'll say for for episode seven because like, I like I went to Wikipedia just to have like the bullet points down and everything to make sure I didn't forget anything. Episode seven. Uh, that X-Men episode. <laughs> um, and that's the only thing I wrote down. I'm like, and we'll the, get to that later. The Gifted. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> and no, somebody wrote a really great article. Uh, Den of Geek wrote a really great article, which I'll plug later on when we get to it. But jumping into episode one, we're opened in Pittsburgh with a bunch of... Uh, on the wrong show. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, these rapscallions are running around and causing shit. And I'm like... I'm like, a van of arrow villains was escaping. The <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I just watched Mindhunters. It opened up very similar to this, a crime in progress. I'm like, am I watching the right show? How is that? Mindhunters is really good. Would and I like that? Did you love the game? I did. And Seven? I never saw Seven. Because um, David Fincher, who directed the game, he oversaw this, this series. He directed the first two episodes. And, like, if you like that and, like, Zodiac, and it's the kind of minutia of profiling coming about. I know my f- one of the listeners, Justin and I, are probably going to be doing a review of that probably next year when we, when we finally have time because of all the stuff that's going to be in the works right now. But, yeah, yeah, so it, we have these uh, wannabe warriors uh, escaping from the Pittsburgh police, and one of them uses – or 
mind control powers to make somebody uh, imagine they running into something, and we find out she has an uh, OA uh, an eight tattoo on her wrist, very much like how Eleven does, and. Then we go back to Hawkins, and we get to see all the characters there, where we are at this point, where we see Joyce is having kind of a successful relationship with, uh... Rudy! Sean, uh, with Rudy, Samwise, the the Brave, and just, like, the dorkiest version of Sean Astin you've ever been. Like, he was dorky in The Goonies, but he's even dorkier now. He reminds me of Burt Ward. I can see that. Well, you just say that because it's just his statue now? He looks and kind of sounds like Burt Ward now. Josh! Joyce, we, we, we gotta climb up the wall! That was the magic him repelling up the side of a building! <laughs> oh god, oh. I can see him cosplay as, like, at a, co- a comic book convention. Um, Holy hole in the ground! <laughs> uh, and then Will is kind of back to normal, so we sink. Um, Mike is still looking for Eleven. That's And then uh, Hopper tries to have his normal life as the police chief with two of the Still the most inept deputies of the world as a police force. But making some better snacking decisions. Eating an apple instead of donuts. Yes. And I like that as a little touch of he has a little bit something more to live for now. Yeah. Because of, you know, what we will discuss is his, yeah. his main story arc this season. Right. And then we have all, of course, we have we have Dustin, we have Lucas, we have Mike, and we'll going back to school. Nancy and Steve are, are a couple, and they go to the Stancy. Stancy. Oh, is that really? Oh. That's the ship name. And they were introduced to Mad Max and Billy. The Red Ranger. The Red Ranger. Wait. Dacre. Um, that, that's the dude who played the Red Ranger in the new Power Rangers movie. Holy shit, it is. I thought his face looked familiar. So then I went to IMDb, and sure enough. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing the casting that he was going to be this season, but I completely forgotten about that by the time I was watching. Like, his face, obviously, but, like, the weird, like, kind of, like, okay, I can't grow a mustache. However, I think what I can grow is probably a little bit better than his. I mean, it's not helping with the <laughs> mullet he's got going on. Well, <laughs> I mean, he was fully intended to be gross. Yes. So I think he pulls it off well. Yet, somehow... The ladies of Hawkins High swoon over him. Oh, it was the 80s. That's true. What can you do? And Mad Max is stepsister, and then that's when Will starts to have, has an hallucination with the upside-down world, and then we have the Shadow Monster, the big uh, Lovecraftian monster that's going to be the main antagonist of the season. Um, And, of course, we have Hopper hiding Eleven in a cabin in the woods, and kind of raising her and everything like that. How do you think this episode worked as a introduction back to this world of Stranger Things? Well, by the time it ended, I was kind of like, oh, oh, that's no, keep going. Keep going. No, I won't. Because I liked just catching back up with everyone where everyone was. I think it did a really good job of reintroducing us to Hawkins kind of hitting on where everyone is at this point in time and the stuff with Hopper and Eleven I don't know for you but for me it immediately like felt like yeah this is this is the way it is this is the show whereas this is a completely brand new premise of Hopper raising Eleven and then living in this cabin in the woods but it felt like it had been for so long, like, this is the show that we know and love. So I think they did a really good job of setting that all that up within the first episode of this is how it is now. Hopper is raising Eleven. 
Eleven is growing. She has a horrible wig. She, she, <laughs> she looks like a mini Ripley. And, I mean, you can't unsee that. No, yeah. I mean, once you see that, like, I want her to, like, dress up as, like, Ripley for Halloween or something like that with that wig. Whether she's in the big mech suit from Aliens or she's with the flamethrower and the cat in the box and everything. Um, and it, I lo- and she starts to have flashbacks of things that have happened. And the joke I made to you in, v- in text form is that, that Eleven is the Oliver Queen of Stranger Things 2 because <laughs> she has a numerous flashbacks that pertain to the what's going on at the moment and has a terrible wig and a terrible wig yeah Flashba- <laughs> flashback hair yes flashback hair um <laughs> but you're right because it seems so natural and and this is a point in the first episode you can throw a lot at us and this is the bus this is the time where we would buy it because time has progressed because if you introduce something really outrageous in the, like the second episode that like he's raising her and then you're like all right or something even more outrageous that all of a sudden, like five years have gone by, and everybody's super like puberty's hit everybody like uh like a like a bus like Bruce Wayne on Gotham. Yeah, puberty hit up hard. That's one of those things, and it's with these kids too. That it's like between seasons, you don't realize how much these kids have actually grown until you go back and look at pictures or watch the episodes from the prior season. Like, oh my god, they looked like little bitty humans. Where what happened? But you don't realize it until you go and make that comparison. So especially, you know, like Mike, I think he looks like he's grown up a lot. Um, I mean, uh, uh, what's his name? Dustin. Uh, Dustin. Yeah. Dustin. He he too. Like he's like he lost a little bit of the baby fat, and now he's kind of like you know he's a little bit more grown up. Um, and it just they there are certain things like like different hairstyles like nancy has a different hairstyle makes her look a little bit older a little bit more mature mm. and you don't realize it until you go back and look at season one where they all look so tiny yeah and it's specifically by dustin because he did a, a verizon fios commercial yeah and especially that like premiered like for like the beginning of the nfl season so of course in my second job i would see it very often and I'm like wow he's grown a lot from that to now and then, obviously, Finn, who played Mike in in first two seasons, and uh, Richie in the 2017 It. You look at season one, Stranger Things, and you look at It, he's obviously grown a lot, and so obviously going to continue to grow. I hope it doesn't end up like that, pretty much like how Game of Thrones is. You look go back to the first season of Game of Thrones, the kid character's there, and it's only supposed to be like a few years ago gone by, but you look at him now, like, wow, you're, you're stretching your age. You should have casted younger. Exactly. Um... And so we also we also see that um, Bob and uh, not Bob uh, that uh, Hopper is kind of working with Hawkins' lab and everything that and that there's a new person running it, but Doctor Owens played by Paul Reiser, and that how there's kind of a weird symbiotic relationship between the with between the town and the lab itself, and it's curious like that could have that could have been like. A bridge too far. They're like, no way they're going to buy it. But sure, like, granted, you saw him drive away in a black car at the end of season one. But there was what could be a thing like, oh, I don't know. This seems a little too far-fetched. I don't know how you feel about that. Like, with that initial relationship there. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Hopper is he's doing what he has to do to kind of keep things just... You know, keep the status quo, keep things at bay, and do what he has to do and keep the secrets he has to keep, but also at the same time keep Eleven safe. So, I mean, 
Paul Reiser, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, he's obviously going to be, you know, he's going to betray Hopper in a million and one ways. everybody's seen Aliens and how he portrayed Ripley and everybody else in that. And it was, you're waiting for it at every turn, and I was waiting for it until the very last second. And when Hopper handed him the gun in the last episode, I was like, oh, no, no, no. Why, why would you do that? This is the moment. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it. I, I think that's what – I think everybody kind of had that feeling that, oh, he's – because he's been such a kind of a weasel character or weasel-like casted actor throughout a lot of his career. And so you're like, oh, it's this is going to end up like kind of like how Matthew Modine playing Papa and uh, Brenner in the first season. Um, but I always like to think of Papa as Papa from the band Ghost. <laughs> he didn't leave the show. He's went on tour. <laughs> he has puts on the corpse paint and everything, and dresses like the cardinal and everything. That's why I, I can't. Just, um, I'm not going to listen to Ghost uh, normal without without that now. I mean, Ghost could kind of fit in, like sound wise. Like if you if you were to tell me that Ghost existed in 1984 in this universe, I would completely buy it. Yeah. Opening for Merciful Fate around the world. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's funny because whenever because Matthew Modine who plays uh, the character of Papa in this, like he's most famous from um, Full Metal Jacket as Private Joker, and there's oh, and so just him being in that, and I'm like, wow, he's because he's such he's like the emotional core of that movie. That's a very cold and almost like heartless movie, but seen as the bad guy in this. Like, but at least he's not telling the cops that they're hotheads or anything, and. <laughs> And portray or portraying Jim Gordon, not to put everybody, let's <laughs> throw all the cops underneath underneath Gotham. We'll get there, ladies and gentlemen, eventually. Um, so Sons on, of bitches, <laughs> Puppuses. On to season two, uh, it's the season two, uh, it's episode two. Uh, so it's finally Halloween in Hawkins, and the kids have dressed up like Ghostbusters. That was like Great. one of the big promotional thing for the first trailer. Yeah. Um, I love the fact they dress up as Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, and nobody else dresses up for Halloween at school. Did you dress up for Halloween at your like middle school and elementary school? Elementary school, yes. I specifically remember one year dressing up in this like full body skeleton suit that that didn't look look unlike La Parka. Um, <laughs> unintentional at the time, but I like to retcon that. Okay. I remember doing that in elementary school. Yeah, uh, middle school, maybe not. Um, yeah. That you know, but still, definitely going out and trick or treating, but not wearing the costume to school. But with this group of kids, I completely buy that they're like, oh yeah, that's what you do. You you dress up, and they had sick costumes, by yes. the way. And I feel like in '84, th- those costumes would have been very much appreciated. Whereas, like maybe ten years later, they would have been the laughing stock. I feel like. That wouldn't have been as dramatic as it was. No, I mean, if it was one of them, maybe. But if it was the whole yeah. group and that they were very solid with it, I think people would have been like, we respect that. Like, yeah. like man, they're being bold there. Um, about Lucas and Mike both dressed up as Bankman. And I'm like, oh, uh, this is going to be an awkward conversation. Like, why weren't you Wednesday? Like, why? Because I'm black? Like, no, that's not it. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, wow, you guys wrote yourself into an awkward corner here. Please end this scene. This is getting uncomfortable. Um,. <laughs> At the same time where the plot kind of is introduced, where all the pumpkin patches around Hawkins are starting to become rotted out, and Hopper's investigating that and wondering what's going on. And another thing that's a holdover from season one is the kind of unfinished business with Barb's death. 
and Nancy and Steve and Jonathan all are aware of how Barb died. And Nancy and can't really hold can't really keep the secret. And it's kind of killing her a little bit. As well as Barb's parents hiring an investigator, kind of a quack investigator named Murray, which first episode, I hated him. By the end of the season, I loved him. <laughs> he's great. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, uh, like he's How was the pullout? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. This is not a, a comedy show, right? No. But I laughed more watching this season of Stranger Things than I have watching the entire new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know what it is, but when I watch comedy shows, except for like Seinfeld, I don't even laugh. But this show... I was dying at several points. And going back to the Steve and Nancy going to Barb's parents' house to have dinner, I thought Steve was hilarious in that scene. His figure looking good. <laughs> he was ama- I love KFC. <laughs> That's like one of the gifts I saw before I got to that episode from uh, the Stranger Things Twitter. And I was like, it's like I love KFC. I'm like, well, that's going to come up eventually. <laughs> and they had to try and save face in front of him. Like, yeah, that we know that Barb just disappeared. We don't know that how they, she really died. She's on Riverdale now. Is she really on Riverdale? Yeah. She she plays – I forgot what her, her character's name is. But, yeah, she plays kind of like – not a not unlike Barb ish character mm-hmm. um, on Riverdale, which is cool. Nice. And so Nancy and Steve decide to go to a party to just kind of uh, relax and just like, kind of hang loose and everything. And be normal teens, yeah. as they say. And so, and Steve is kind of like the popular kid in high school up this way until Billy arrives. And this is when he starts to upstage him by doing a keg stand longer than Steve. And Nancy decides to get really shit faced. And to drink away the pain of, of holding in the secret. And it's kind of revealed that Nancy doesn't really love Steve. Which is kind of a heart. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, oh. Oh, man. I mean, Stancy. Like, yeah, Stancy. What happened? And, I mean, it's, uh, of course, there's always the idea of, like, drunk actions are sober thoughts. And so that just hurt. I'm like, ah, oh, well, I just feel bad for Steve. Like, he shouldn't abandon her, though, because he just kind of leaves her there. And Jonathan, uh, I love how Jonathan shows up to the party just to have like a normal life, and because Nancy invited him, and which, just, which by the way, her invite to him is a dead giveaway that of her feelings on oh, yeah. on Steve. And, and, but like, but Steve's kind of a like most guys, kind of like, oh, I'm not catching that because it's just going over my head. But but also not even that. But seeing what Steve doesn't know, but seeing the way she invites him. It's like you could even forget that Steve's in the picture. You could just see this as, oh, there's, there's this girl who's really into this guy, and she's inviting him to this party. Yeah. Like as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh no, Steve, Steve, justice for Steve. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I love when he gets to the party. John is talking to another party goer, and she's like, "What are you dressed up as?" Like, "Oh, my guy, dressed up as a guy who hates parties." I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good signal yeah. right there. I just kind of, uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. But he's having a conversation with her, and that's when. Uh, Nancy comes out of the bathroom and really, really sick at this point. Uh, and so Jonathan takes her home and everything. And so, and Steve, I forget, does Steve just leave the party at that point or does he just go back to partying? I, I forget. I'm pretty sure Steve would have left. Okay, just like outright left? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember though. It's been a little while since I, because I binged all these and like, two three days yeah so it's been a few days since i've seen so i'm a little hazy on some details gotcha. but i'm pretty sure he left 
Um, as when we introduced to Max earlier, we find out we because she had upstaged Dustin's like um, uh, best uh, his uh, record at the arcade, and that both Dustin and Lucas are kind of smitten with Max, who shows up to with the kids while they're going Halloween trick or treating. And I love the fact that she's dressed up as Michael Myers because I'm just like mm. that was great. I was like, oh, that and, was great. And it's, and it's such a great mask too. And I feel bad for Will with the Michael J. Fox Back to the Future camcorder. Camcorder. Yeah. And he gets bullied by kids, which which sucks, which is recorded on tape. But then he gets to see the shadow monster very clearly at this point. And at the end of it, and he's kind of like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to try and have just like Mike decides to take him home just because he's just really wigged out about everything. And Mike's kind of feeling Mike has gone full emo at this point. Yeah. Uh, pining for eleven, but because he still calls out for her on the walkie talkie every night, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Just because he's still because he's still holding the candle for her. And then and then hearing a brief little Mike. Yeah. Because she's there and she sees him and she's calling out to him, but he doesn't really know that. He yeah. he might even think that he's imagining that, which is that, just, that just makes be. it worse. Yeah, because you think like, oh, like I'm really just trying to convince myself that I'm hearing her. And at the end, like we have Dustin who's coming home with all of his candy and finds Dart, a weird kind of slug creature that he finds in his uh, trash can. You knew that it was only a matter of time before they took the Demogorgon and made it into a cute little, you know, you could sell an action figure or a stuffed animal of, you know, you knew they were going to make a little cutesy monster yeah. for this season. Cause that's what most franchises do now. They take like a, a thing that's supposed to be terrifying or ugly or whatever. And they make a small one that's cute that appeals to everyone's, you know, but that whole storyline to me, I think was the most infuriating part of the season for me personally, mm. because not only was Dustin just being like super kind of creep and kind of annoying when it became a little bit more apparent that Lucas and Max were heading towards being a thing. Dustin was also just fucking everything up with dart. Like he just, he like, ugh. I got so mad at Dustin this season. It started out as good intentions until We'll get to it later that when like when he finally hides him, but so finds Dart, hides him from his parent, hides from his mother and everything, and so like on to episode three, and Hopper is supposed to come back and have candy with Eleven to kind of spend Halloween. Hopper is late because he's investigating all the weird things that's going around Hawkins yet again, and I felt so bad for Eleven. Well, first of all, ET reference with the with the ghost. Yes. Costume with the sheet, yeah. scaring the bejesus out of Hopper and going ghost, <laughs> trick or treat, you know. Like, <laughs> and it's it reminds you instantly. It's like, oh yeah, I love Eleven. Eleven's great, and yeah. also a nice. A, if you didn't need another ET reference, I mean, yeah, um, which is always always welcome, right? <laughs> and, and and like just feeling like and establishing that, oh yeah, this is a kid who is holed up in this cabin and can't go anywhere and can't do anything and can't be with pretty much the love of her life that she's already met now and been through really intense emotional drama with and really scary things with and can't go be with her friends again and really sets up, I think, a great kind of weight to Eleven immediately because you know that She's just isolated from everything. 
Right. And while, while you're saying that with setup, that we actually, in episode three, we see the setup of the cabin, how Hopper and Levin kind of met face to face, and they agreed to keep her in this cabin safe from everybody. The establishing of the rules, and probably one of your favorite moments, is when Hopper puts on the music. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first great meme from this season that, <laughs> that apparently took off Dancing Hopper. Oh, God. Which, as I was <laughs> I mean, I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, Croce. Nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? El- no. Eleven's face. Eleven's just completely horrified but still amused face. It's great. It's what the stuff that gifts are made of. It's such a dad dance, too. It is a dad dance. Because <laughs> he's not even really doing much. No, he's just like... It's, it's a little... Yeah, it's a little twist Twi- and a, a little bit in the waist, and it's great. And that's the way I'm dancing at all social gatherings from here on out. <laughs> and-, and I also love the fact that the song is You Don't Mess Around With Jim. Yes. Oh, it's perfect. That's perfect right there. And so they, we see, like, the setting up and the three rules that they must that Eleven must abide by. Nancy wakes up the following day and, and confides in Jonathan that says, you know what? We have to do something. We have to get justice for Barb. And I wonder if – I'm curious if this was part of the initial plan going into season two before season one was dropped or everybody wanting justice for Barb after season one uh, – premiered i'm curious about that well they they had to address it somehow because that was like the first thing that really blew up about stranger things was everywhere just articles and people post online bar 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 so going into this if you just saw all this stuff you would think that barb was like the main character of this show from season one you thought like she's she's um uh i'm trying to think what from twin peaks um Laura Palmer. Yeah, like exactly. She, that she is the genesis of it. Yeah, everything. it's just the internet just latches on to like one thing all at the same time and then makes it like the biggest thing tied to whatever property you're talking about. Yeah, that was kind of what Barbara – so you had to address it somehow. And it's natural for Nancy to be feeling guilt about her – first of all, her best friend's gone. And I, I would be a little bit suspicious if there wasn't so much as a passing mention of – of Barb and what really happened this season and Nancy just kind of, you know, so it's a good, it's a good point for her and kind of informs her whole motivation throughout the season, which is good. And also leads her on a path that I would like to see more in the next season, which is kind of this like proto detective Nancy that I think is Nancy Drew. <laughs> Nancy hey. Drew. <laughs> oh. It's, Oh, it's great. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to top that, guys. Like, it's that, great. We should just stop right now. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to get any better. We're just going to stand our way out of it. Just leave. <laughs> um, and so they decide to gather evidence and trying to expose uh, Hawkins Lab for what they've done, attracting the attention of Hawkins Lab, who do – and it's so creepy when they're in the park to – in the park discuss- discussing it and they just start to realize everybody there is watching them but and then they try to escape in Jonathan's car and I love like it's got the probably one of the nicest arresting officers from a creepy government uh, facility ever like just knocking on like hey hi there you having car trouble <laughs> I mean like if John Candy was still alive I'd want that to be John Candy like from Home Alone like doing the <laughs> polka hop- polka no, no, dude, imagine dude. Hopper doing that doing the polka dance <laughs> and, and he's trying like because uh, Hopper coming from Sheboygan you know because he's very big at Sheboygan <laughs> um, oh Jesus Christ 
Okay. Try it. Try yeah, it. it. Try it. Try it. it. Oh, all right, fine. Um, and that's when uh, Nancy uh, uh, records the conversation with uh, Dr. Owens about the truth that, that they're, they have the portal to the Upside Down, but they can't seem to close it. They're trying their damnedest by killing it with fire, like most things, but it's not really doing a good job. Or at least they think. Yeah, they're just kind of cutting the grass. You yeah. Know? Even at one point, didn't they say it's weeds at this point? Which is yeah. Like, just, uh, it's going to keep growing back regardless. But they don't have an actual solution. No, and they're completely unaware that the, the Upside Down is spreading from Hawkins' lab, and they're uh, completely unaware of it. So the whole Nancy and Jonathan getting caught on purpose and secretly recording the conversation, which, I mean, you would think that the lab would have checked their bags, maybe. That's one question I, I, I'm like, mm. But okay, okay, even going along with that, I mean, Nancy's just really smart. Yeah. Like, there's no way, like, there's no way middle school or high school me would be thinking to do things like this. But I'm not in a critically acclaimed Netflix series. But, I mean... I wish I was. I wish I would, too, because... I mean, like, Nancy is just really cool, and, like, she, like, is very resourceful and just really, like, has a lot of guts and really... Uh, Nancy, like, this season, I think, became one of my top characters in the show just because of, like, how just, like, active she is in everything and, like, getting shit done. And, like, the kids are all over here playing around with monsters, and Nancy's over here trying to expose these super secret shadowy organizations and like get justice for her best friend that was killed. Like that's really cool. That, that could have been a show on its own, you know, without all the other stuff happening in the background. So I'm excited. And I also forgot that she, they, they went to radio shack and got the tape recorder. I yes. completely forgot about that by the end of that whole little story. So when they're leaving and they're playing the tape, I'm like, son of a bitch. That's great. Do we see Bob in that scene? When they're at Radio Shack, or is I don't remember or, or if Bob was just is there. Like, or, or like it was just I like, think it was just a mention of, of Bob, and okay. Because we know Bob, we know that Bob works at Radio Shack. Yeah, and um, and we know that uh, that um, what's her what's what's Will's mom's name? Joyce. Joyce. I always forget her name. Right. I forget her name, and I forget Dustin's name. I don't know why. Right. But and we know that Joyce works what across the street. Yes. At like the competitor. Yeah. Which in the beginning. When we first see them together, and then all of a sudden, smash cut to them making out in a supply closet. <laughs> like, whoa! That was fast. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand, like, she probably got some notoriety from, like, local press um, when Will was found and everything. And that's probably kind of, re- probably Bob reading the paper, probably was like, oh, that's what Joyce is kind of up to. And probably introduced himself and made a move, and that's how they're kind of a couple now. But I love the fact that he goes into the store looking for... Uh, pumpkin like trick or treat like uh, containers like they're not orange and then they, of course they smash cuts to the supply room and when he's leaving he finds one he finds a green one and it's like hey look not an orange one it's, just, <laughs> it's such a chipper add to the Sean Astor brings his role that I really enjoy I was so relieved that Bob turned out to not only not be a bad guy as you're immediately suspicious whenever someone is this nice yeah it's like alright when does he turn which which would suck because I didn't expect to love Bob as much as I did, but damn it, by the end of the season, I'm like, oh man, I, Bob was great. I'm really glad that he was a part of this season. But I was every episode, I was like, this is where this is going to be where he he's going to Malcolm Merlin, everybody. Yeah, but 
thankfully it doesn't happen and, and yeah. thankfully he he goes out a hero man i love bob and i love also the tension between bob and hopper which kind of when we see where things end off at the very end which we'll talk about with joyce and hopper mm-hmm. i mean they planted that seed very early on with tension between bob and hopper yeah although i would have loved a situation where bob stays around and you can get some bob and hopper kind of like buddy like cop but bopper 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 i mean because we have there's another bro kind of a bromance that happens later on in the season between i mean like i even text my sister like can we just have a spinoff of these two characters we'll get into that a little bit but um bob takes uh um will to school at one point when he's saying he's tormented by dreams by of a clown so of course the internet thinks like oh that um Bob was uh, haunted by Pennywise from It from Maine and everything, and that's the clown that he was haunting his dreams and everything. Um, so, in that scene, the Duffer Brothers mentioned there was uh, a, a produced after show on Netflix, Beyond, Beyond Stranger Things. The Duffer Brothers mentioned that Will was originally supposed to kill Bob in that scene. Will was supposed to kill in this season. While he was possessed, well, he does kind of kill. While he was possessed by the shadow monster. Well, right. yeah, but it was supposed to be like, boom, murders Bob. That's the end of Bob. Which could you imagine? Not at that point. Later on, like after, like later in this episode, when he becomes possessed by the shadow monster, and like say if he was being brought home by Bob, that I can see. I think that would have been a huge mistake on many levels. One, Bob was great, and it would be a shame to not have him around for the season. And two, I mean. The subtle kind of fluctuation between it being Will and him being possessed, and the, as gradual as that happens, and as nuanced as as Noah Schnapp's performance was, that was one of my favorite things of the season. And if it was just like boom, like episode four, you know, Will Will kills, yeah. Will kills Bob, and now Will is evil for the I would have hated that because this is where we didn't really get to spend a whole lot of time with Will in season one the way we did with Mike and. Lucas and you know we didn't get to spend that time with him this season I think they made up for it with really emotionally intense performances from him struggling with his his quote-unquote now memories and then being slowly possessed and then that kind of coming and going and coming and going and then you're not and he was really great the actor that plays Will was really really I think especially for an actor that young I think he was really awesome this season, so I I would have hated that if they had him kill Bob. He's like a contender for my MVP of this season. Yeah, uh, along with Murray, because I because I just loved him at especially at the very end of him on the lawn chair watching some people drive by. Um, and of course, Lucas starts to become kind of closer to Max, and even though Max thinks he's a stalker, um, Billy tells Lucas to stay the hell away. And also, going back to the Halloween episode, when Billy's driving Max home on Halloween, and he's gunning down the road in his Trans Am, and he almost hits the kids on their bikes. Like, I'm sitting on my bed, on my edge of my bed, and like, my fingers are just gripping into my comforter, because I'm like, oh god, he's going to hit me. He's like, don't, don't, don't let that happen. And I'm like, hey, it's second episode. It's like it's the second episode. They're not gonna kill him. But also, and one thing I question, like the kids, you hear cars coming around you. Get the fuck up the road right away. Don't ride like, oh, we can, we can go yeah. faster. Than hey, him. what's this? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like just like immediately dart off. Like, sure, you get to fall over, but you'll be fine. Dart. Dart. No. And so, dart grows, gets loose at the school. 
Um, Dustin recaptures him, hoping nobody can find him because they think he's because Will thinks he's part of the upside down. What are you gonna say? What does this science teacher think these fucking kids are doing? Because when they're he's, when when Dustin's about to show him Dart. And then Mike comes in, fucking screaming at the top of his lungs. But no, we gotta go down, and like ushering he, them out of the classroom. He, he very runs quickly. in like he's Doc Brown at that point, pretty much. Like that's the kind of intensity level he's got going on. There. And and he, and the science teacher just like, oh, all right, like, doesn't investigate this at all. No, like there there should be questions here, and I'm surprised. He, some I'm surprised the science teacher lived. I thought somehow he was gonna bite this season for some reason. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, they, they kind of need him around, though, I, I feel. And there were things that he – that the science class set up that made it made it easier for the viewer to understand certain things like how um, the shadow monster possessing Will, he likes it cold. And, you know, you see Will getting into – you know, going to get into a hot bath and then, like, having, like, this – like physical reaction and and they set that up in the science class where it was like, you know, when an organism feels threatened, it will, you know, it will respond. And like, you see that. And then immediately you see will going to get into the bat. And it's like, they, they can use him in ways to explain what is happening to the characters like that without it just being kind of like this mystery, like science thing. He can actually break it down, which is why I think he's a valuable character for, the people at home so i'm glad they didn't kill him because right. again it would have just been like oh let's just kill this you know there are other people you can kill yeah i'm, you know? I'm not saying i'm disappointed they didn't kill him i was thinking like this is so referential to 80s uh properties gremlins does the same thing but we have a science teacher investigating or like doing experiments in the mogwai grows up to a gremlin and kills the science teacher at the end um in a vicious fashion but not as vicious as how it was originally supposed to be but and so Dart breaks out from Dustin's cage, eats his cat, mm, the kitty. Yeah, and just like, oh, like that. That that point, like you tell everybody, you don't like. I'm yeah. sorry, like I'm like, yeah, no, you don't take this into your own hands. No, and I love the fact that he does like lure him. Like later, he lures him out and into his cellar and everything. But what does Dustin's mom like at at the end when everything's all said and done? What does she think happened to that cat? I guess just. I just disappeared, hit by a car, and it was eaten. Be- because Dustin sends her off to go find it and saying that, oh, yeah, um, blah, blah, so- blah. someone down the street said they, you know, said they found the cat. Go, you know, go ahead and look. So go- you don't get to see her dealing with the fact that this cat that she's obsessed with and, and loves a lot is now gone. And I for sure thought that when Dustin was, like, breaking out the bleach and cleaning up the carpet that she was going to walk in and think that her son murdered their cat. And he's becoming in, a sociopath. Yeah. yeah, I for sure thought they were going to go down that road and that it would just get really, really complicated for Dustin. But I guess, you know, there's only so much you can do, you know, when you have so much going on in a show and you only got nine episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was a 22-episode show, for sure they would have gone down that. It would have been a four-episode arc dedicated to that. Yeah, he would have he he been locked away at, yes. on episode 17. Yeah, and that's when uh, – Oliver and company come <laughs> and rescue him. Um, but the biggest thing for episode four is Hopper and L and L fight. This was like one of the very first times, like it brought almost brought me to tears in this season because I did not want to see this because L feels like she's being trapped and locked away, and Hopper is just being an overprotective father figure at this point. And 
I love the moment when, like, he's trying to ground her and punish her. He tries to go to grab the TV, and Elle just uses her teleconnect powers to make it extremely heavy. Um, Hopper tosses a dictionary to her just for her to read, and she tosses it back at his face, throws, move the couch at him, knocks things over, and then all of a sudden blows out all the windows in, in a violent rage. That really upset me. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I love the way Eleven slams doors. Just like her fling. arm just flings back in the door. I, I mean, that was kind of funny to me, but I was right there with you. It's like, it's first of all, it sucks to see Eleven getting that upset and using her abilities to destroy things. Because you don't want to see Eleven go down that road and you don't want to see Eleven kind of dig the hole deeper for herself. And also you feel bad for Hopper because he's doing so much to provide for her and take care of her and educate her and, you know, keep her alive and keep her a secret. So you feel bad for both of them. And it's not like, oh, well, he's just being an asshole. And you feel, you know, or, or she's being petulant and whatever. You feel bad for both of them, so it's a horrible situation. And you want to – it's like, no, 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 Let's go back to him dancing. You know, da- da- no, let's go back. So that was rough, and I was like, oh, no, I hope this doesn't last for, you know, the rest of the show or close to that. I hope that they can patch things up. But, I mean, we see how that all shakes out with Eleven kind of going off and discovering some things for herself and – kind of coming to her realization that she has to come to. But I was I was concerned. I thought maybe we would get a darker and kind of more vicious and more violent Eleven, which you don't want to see. No. Because, I, I mean, at the end of the day, she's an adorable little girl. Mm. You know, you don't want her to be destructive and violent and causing people harm. You know, then that that then this becomes like a like some sort of a horror movie where you know it's like the little girl who's possessed by a demon and stuff like that. Yeah, or it's like that Twilight Zone episode where that kid could do anything with his mind, so all the parents have to be nice to him, otherwise he'll just make him disappear. But it's like you you remember when you were when you were that age where you were kind of like trying to get angry at everybody, especially your parents. And what if you had powers? Like what if you had mutant powers to be able to lash up? Yeah. Slam all your arms and dramatically close doors behind you. I mean, let's, I'll be honest. If I could close doors like that, I would just flail my arms. I just like do that. that every day. Exactly. I'm not even mad. <laughs> just, you get out of your car. Door closed. I wouldn't even have a car. I just like, I just do that and propel myself. Into the <laughs> um, after that, Hopper, um, goes to Joyce uh, Joyce's house where after Will becomes possessed, he starts jot, um, doodling on n- numerous pieces of paper, and he finds that it's a map of all the tunnels that are being done around uh, Hawkins. And Hopper realizes where he has to go, and he goes to the pumpkin patch, digs his way in, and digs himself into a tunnel of the upside down world, and gets trapped. So. I mean, now, granted, I would never figure this out, you know, just I'm, again, I'm not in a in a Netflix series. I would never figure this out in real life, putting all of these drawings together. I would never in a million years would come to this conclusion and have it going all over the house and have it be as intricate and, and laid out exactly the right way and have all the pieces of paper exactly in the right spot. This I mean, this would never happen. But, you know, 
that in this show now, they have set the expectation that this is like their version of the Marvel-Netflix hallway fight. It's like every season we are going to get something strewn about the buyer's house that is going to help us either communicate with someone in the Upside Down or figure out something related to the Upside Down. We know that the buyer's house has to be plastered with something and I'm very curious as to what it's going to be next season that is going to be a, a central point in figuring out the course of action that they have to take. But that that whole that whole you know will furiously coloring like I feel like that's also lends itself well to being a gif of something. Yeah, you could just see him with the crayon, you know, mashing it on the desk, and then like I could see a million possibilities of that becoming a, a meme. <laughs> exactly, because it, it was very funny. But and that's also where this is where Bob really like proves his worth and why he's here for this season coming in and oh what is it some kind of treasure map <laughs> because it takes as such face value because even though joyce like is acting like her typical self like being an overprotective not an overprotective mother but like the town lunatic but bob's like okay fine well swell well we'll figure this out and he realizes it's like all the lakes and rivers around hawkins and realizes where they have to go and at the same time, uh, John and Nancy um, go find the investigator that uh, Barb's parents hired, Murray, and say, Barb was killed by these these weird creatures, and this is the, from another dimension. Here's the evidence for it. And Murray's just like, pours himself some vodka. And then tries to, like, top it off a little bit with water. I'm like, too much. We can't, because nobody's going to believe you if you do this. However... If we soften the story a little bit, we change it. We don't change the end result. Maybe how they got there, how Barb died, we could still get justice for her. And it doesn't make a difference to anyone else because they're still ignorant to this whole upside down and this whole supernatural kind of thing happening in their small town. Mm -hmm. And it also makes you wonder how much of our own real-life history has this applied to has it been watered down and diluted for us to accept as something you know that's more believable to us so it's something that just kind of makes you think and i thought that was very uh that would that really made it easier for like the whole justice for barb thing to happen whereas explaining that yeah um there's this kind of parallel dimension that's underground and upside down and all this stuff and there's demogorgons and there's little slugs and little snails and things and and you're all probably gonna die at some point <laughs> i mean then i feel like they could do that in a later season and have the whole town become privy to the upside down but way too early to do that so i thought it was a good way to to do to accomplish justice for bar get that out of the way and I thought it was, like, a good commentary on, like, actual real life. And I'm curious, like, if kind of making up my own headcanon of, like, how Murray's become involved with conspiracy theories to begin with, I wonder how many times he's tried to blab on something and going straight for the throat with all the details, the facts, and everybody yeah. laughs him off about it. Like, when he first comes to... Hopper is like, the Russians are in on Hawkins. And everybody's like, no, no, there's no Russians in Hawkins. And we're not being invaded. This is not Red Dawn. And so he says, like, there's a there's a, a, a little girl with psychic abilities. And Hopper's like, mm, 
crap, I gotta steer him off the I gotta steer him off this path soon enough. And I love the fact that like that he's such a communist uh that Mary's such an in fear of communists but loves drinking Russian brewed <laughs> vodka. Yeah. So I just find that kind of curious. Um so Bob Oh, what were you going to say? Oh, no, okay. Okay. I thought it was, so Bob leads them to where Hopper is while he's being trapped. And at the same time, that's when, because earlier Hopper had mentioned to all the people at Hawkins' lab that the pumpkin patches or something's going on with it. That's when the Hawkins' uh, um, goons uh, show up and go in. They rescue Hopper, set fire to one of the tunnels, and that's when Will starts to have a seizure and seizes out like it's nobody's business. And I was, I thought, I didn't know if he was going to make it out of this episode, actually. I thought that that was going to be, like, the end of Will again. I would have hated that. Yeah. It would have been too much, like, just like, oh, it's like, this is just, these two episodes have been too much, like, back to back. At the same time, Eleven decides to, she found information about her mother that, that Hopper had and decides to go look for her. And, and I love the fact that where it's like, she goes hitchhiking and she gets a guy. She finds a, a nice man in a big truck to take her somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> a big truck, a nice man. <laughs> Hopper would question later on. Um, so they bring Will back to the lab, and that's when um, Doctor Owens is kind of like that. He probably has a virus in him, and that's what and that's his connection to the shadow world. And they start doing experiments on him, not completely invasive ones, not like things, and they're not keeping their family in the dark. Because it would be so easy. It's like, we, we scrub you from, we disinfect you, we throw you in a cell, and you don't know what the hell's going on. No, they have, Paul Rise's character, ha- make sure that Joyce and Hopper and Bob and everybody's... And Mike. And Mike is aware of what is going on. Which I loved. I love incorporating Mike into the buyer's family chaos, where he was right there with Joyce and everyone trying to figure out, you know, the drawings and trying to help Mike uh, trying to help Will and seeing the friendship that they have because we spend so much time with Mike searching for Will and trying to figure this out and trying and, and wanting and hoping and wishing that his best friend was still alive in season one. Now I want to see them be best friends. And they had moments and, you know, they had the moment during trick or treating when, when Will had, you know, kind of the, the now memory and, and kind of, had a, like a panic attack. And then we see them kind of, you know, kind of bonding and, and say, Hey, you know, we're both kind of going through some stuff and, you know, we'll get through it together. And I love that. And I, I love the two of them together. I love them as friends. So have it, you know, you could have easily given Mike something else to do that wouldn't have been as important as, as important, but he was right there with Will at his bedside throughout the whole thing. And I love that, that they, have Mike right there in the mix doing that where you could have had him off with Lucas and Dustin, you know, him being all surly and angry that now Mad Max is a part, you know, not officially a part of their party, but kind of the same dynamic from season one where Lucas and Dustin are all up in arms about, Oh, who's this 11? What is this? Why is this changing? It used to be the four of us boys. Now there's this girl. Well, now there's this other kind of, quote unquote mythical girl because she skateboards and is really good at video games. Mm. So the dynamic there of Lucas and Dustin fighting over uh Mad Max, you could have had Mike just being really 
just a jerk to them for that whole time and just kind of being annoyed and being upset and, you know, that whole thing. But he was right in the mix and he was right there with Will, which is exactly where he needed to be. So I did love that they had him doing that. I mean, it's not like Mike has a real strong connection with the rest of his family. I mean, I mean, it's okay. Mike's father is has to be one of the worst TV dads in the world. Yes. I mean, like the man is oblivious to everything. So much so that his wife can't stand him. It was willing later on when Billy comes to her house. I love the fact that like, I'm jump. I know I'm jumping ahead, but like she's reading a trashy, like romantic novel with yeah. like a Fabio knockoff on the cover in a bubble bag. That basically looked like Billy. Yes. And Billy shows at their door, like, like jacket shirt open showing off his, his power ranger abs. And she, and she looked like she was like addressing him with her eyes. And what they're standing in the doorway right there. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, is this really going to happen? I'm like, is this going to go upstairs and Dad's is not going to know? Which is gross because that kid is her daughter's age. Yeah. So, yeah. Switch the genders around. See how comfortable you feel with that, people. It's gross either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm done. Um, so. Uh, also, I do want to point out that Billy is kind of established as being racist. And and telling Mad Max to stay away from Lucas and kind of the whole dynamic between Mad Max and Billy of being like, oh, she's not my sister, um, but, you know, we have to be family now, so I have to pick you up, I have to drop you off, so you're going to do things my way, or you know what happens, and the whole, is he abusing her, you know, is, is he hurting her, yeah. what's the deal with that, what is their home life like? So I thought it was interesting when we got a peek at that at Billy's father and how he is even more of a monster and potentially what Billy could become. But even more than that, I like that Billy is kind of doing himself up in the mirror to the fucking four horsemen. Yes. By Metallica. (laughs) Which I mean, I don't know if in 84 Metallica would have, would yet have reached Hawkins, Indiana. Yeah. And I also don't think that Billy portraying more of a kind of glam image would be listening to that, but I still loved hearing it. Yeah. Now, the question I have with that scene is because he has a Kill 'em All poster up on the wall. Yeah. Which looks so green screen, though. That's the thing. It did not look like it was part of that environment because, and shorts I've done, like, and I've had to green screen, like, posters in the background, that I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure if that's the. The real McCoy in the background. That's, something is amiss there. And, yeah, listen to a glam rocker. And, okay, you think 83 Kill 'em All came out. And I'm trying to think of the touring history that Metallica had at that point. I mean, I'm trying to think. It was the 85. It was Venom, Metallica, and Slayer. I think it was a U.S. tour. Well, they did go. When they released Kill 'em All, they did go on tour with Raven. Right. But even then, I don't know if Indiana would have been like the hotbed for thrash metal in 84. Not yet. Uh, maybe give it a few years. You know, by the time Master of Puppets came out, I'm I'm sure, you know, they would have known about it. But I mean, I, I'm not going to nitpick them on, "Oh, well, Metallica blah 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 blah." Keep the mic in, in, <laughs> in this day in 1984. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I just I was like, "Oh, this is cool," you know, cuz we're so used to hearing the pop music from that era in this show yeah and kind of more leading that so i'm glad even though he's a complete piece of shit yeah and i hated him and you know he's he's horrible and and potentially racist and potentially abusive to his sister yeah that 
hey, we got some metal in this show. But I, I also, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm a little bit wary of that association of the complete piece of shit. Oh, he loves Metallica. That, he like, he listen, he likes uh, scor- metal music. Sc- scorpions. Yeah. He likes rat. You know. Well, he can have rat, but well, yeah. I mean, like that's the thing. Like when Nikki and I reviewed it, 2017, the last the last episode we did, the bullies of that group. One of the kids has a Among the Living T-shirt on early oh, nice. on, and then when the big fight that happens with the rock quarry, when the kids st- stood up to him, he has a metal up your ass T-shirt. <laughs> And the whole fight is set to Anthrax's antisocial, and which was a nice rallying nice. cry for the kids. But then it was my friend Mike when I brought this up to him before we recorded the episode. He's like, "Oh, of course, the bullies are associated with the scary metal music that 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 most people can't handle." And so I see your point with that. But also the fact that he was listening to Rat and Scorpions up to that point, and having himself look like a glamour. I don't see him listening to Thrash. No, not at all. I mean, unless you're going to have him in the tight black pants with the white sneakers and the denim jacket with the sleeves cut off with the leather jacket prone through. Like, okay, maybe. I think by the time he gets a hold of Ride the Lightning, he's going to be like, he's. it's going to be a shift. He's going to be like, oh, no, this is too heavy for me. Or he's going to be like, yeah, fuck Rat. Yeah, this and, is what and I'm he's going to go full into that. So he would he would have that moment. So maybe we'll get that in the next season right. of, of where he's at in his in his metal listening. And so I need updates on this. Yes, and then but going back to what you're saying about like we'll, we'll kind of jump into his character a little bit quickly now that you wonder if it was just on the page that like he wants him, he wants a girl he wants Lucas to stay away from Max outright. But the fact that he that Lucas's character that Lucas's actor he is black. It does play into that fact that, like, all right, is there a racial tension there? Is there a racial explanation that's why he has such a doesn't want them hang, doesn't want Max hanging out with her? And then we have Billy's dad, who um, who says a homophobic slur and is guaranteed to be racist and and all yeah. that and all that stuff. And so you're like, oh, this is where he gets it from. This yeah. is where the hate comes from. And th- I mean, even for a moment, Billy is sympathetic. Only because his dad's in the room. Only because there's someone worse in the room. Yeah. And then as soon as that it makes is it gone, this small. Yeah. And then as, and then we'll see later. He comes back, and you don't feel for him when he comes back. No, I mean he pretty much is the Henry Bowers. If we were putting it, to, he's the Henry Bowers of the season to be the main bully for everybody. And so, well, back at the lab, um, this is when Lucas convinces Max of all the things that's going on. And she doesn't believe him at first. <laughs> I love the way she was also like, it was okay. You know, a bit derivative in parts, but kind of like the, the, meta, co- commentary. the meta commentary on Stranger Things itself, which I love that. I, I thought it was really a great way to kind of touch on that because, I mean, it's obviously true that Stranger Things is derivative, but I feel like they got all that out of the way so that they could now – just kind of jump in and be their own thing, which I feel they're obviously still going to reference period things because it's natural and why shouldn't they? And that's part of the appeal of the show. But I think, you know, it's not just like, Hey, let's take, you know, these five movies and put them in a blender and this is what you get. Yeah. If the show was that, I don't think that people will love it as much as they do. And people would, would not fall in love with the characters. You know, so I, I, I do, whenever I hear people say that, oh, yeah, you love it because it's exactly like 
five movies that you already love. It's like, well, no. It could be that, and it could be bad. Yeah. It's it's like that, and it's good. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't just execute, it elevates. It, it's, and, but, like, that's a question I'll get into a little bit later on, anyway. That, um, and so, Steve and Dustin end up together and start the, one of my favorite subplots, them being together trying to get Dart back after he's escaped from the house and he's grown. Love it. And it's when they meet up with Lucas and Max and they at this kind of um I love before they even get to the junkyard where they plan the trap for Dart that he's talking Justin's talking about like, well look at talking to Steve, like, look at you and then your hair and everything and Steve admits that he's the fair faucet like hairspray. That's how he styles his hair. I mean his hair, to be fair, is like Probably weighs more than the rest of him. Yes. It's gigantic. A strong wind will just, like, he'll just topple it, over. It, it's a conversation piece, <laughs> for sure. But, I mean, that's just Steve. That's Steve Harrington. I feel like Steve, whether they intended it or not, has kind of, after this season, become, like, the Casey Jones of this show. He has, like, his spike bat. As his signature and, weapon, And yeah. he's, like, kind of, like, this cool kind of, like, vigilante slash babysitter. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love Steve. Yes. And last season I was kind of like, oh, yeah, Steve is the shitty guy. Yeah. And now, well, now we have a new shitty guy because Steve became something, something else completely. And, I mean, I like Steve more than I like Jonathan. Well, Jonathan looks like kind of person who would wait in the bushes to take photos of you at night oh wait which he did. oh oh yes he yeah we're all the let's forget about that let's, yeah forget about that and in real life get bust for cocaine at lax yeah which that I, was really bad timing yep i'm curious like is he just gonna be in season three? i mean like, i mean you look at this guy and it's like oh for sure he looks like just his face looks like he's like He's been through a lot of partying yeah. already at this stage. But also, he's given the worst haircut in the world. Yeah. But I also feel like if they were if they were have to recast John Connor, I'd want him to play because I feel like he's the closest <laughs> thing to Edward Furlong these days, um, drugs included. Um, and so they decide to hop, spring a trap for Dart in the middle of this um, in this junkyard. At the same time, they're talking to Will and they and they figure out like. He's connected to the parts of the Upside Down that are in this world. Like, he's he will react violently to when parts, like, slugs are hurt by fire. Yeah, it's all a hive mind. And that he can le- – and then if we if we do what we have to do and destroy it, we're going to kill Will. Everybody else kill is Kill Will, okay. volume two. <laughs> Everybody is okay with that at the lab except for Dr. Owens. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's not going to be a monster. He's going to try and figure out a way. And Will says, if you go to this location, this is how you destroy the hive mind. Uh, Dart comes back at nighttime to the junkyard, and he's not alone. He's got three other friends, and the, the kids are completely outmatched at this point. The lab has sent out a bunch of um, a commando team to the location that Will has pointed out, and they realize it's, it's a, a trap. trap. It is it is like the scenes from aliens when they go into the colony, and like the wall, like the aliens literally come out of the walls to eat them. And we're seeing on the radar of all the things that are going wrong. And I even yelled at my kids, like, they're coming out of the goddamn walls. Um, and Will tries, I and mean, Mike tries to warn them that it's a trap. And Will summons the Demodogs back to... Uh, Demodogs. Demodogs. They're, they're Demodogs. They're what? Demodogs. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's so apparent that Dustin is the Cisco of this show. Yeah, he is. 
like he kind of like looks a little bit like Cisco. They have the same vibe. Like I, I could, yeah, <laughs> unintentional. Oh Jesus! But go on. No, he's just he's he's very uh, Cisco Ramon from the Flash for people who aren't familiar. But yeah, very similar to Cisco, and and even down to naming the monsters, which I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, and so we get to episode well, at the same time. Eleven meets her mother, who's kind of in a vegetable state, and realizes, like, that she's being watched over by, like, I guess her, it's her aunt, or it's, like, her mother's sister. I think it's her aunt, yeah. And uh, Eleven, like, kind of mind connects with her telepathically and finds out what happened to her, and that Papa did um, pretty much almost, like, electroshock therapy herself into oblivion. And she keeps repeating these words over and over. And the last memories that she has of trying to um, save Eleven from the lab in the first place. Which, like, I thought that was kind of ballsy. That, like, as soon as she stopped, she pulls that her mother pulls the gun and starts firing and, and shot yeah. one of the guards. Like, you don't know yeah, where like, the hell. Jesus, lady. I'm like, I'm like I just had your daughter and everything. Like, you could have gotten a little bit further into the lab before you pulled the gun. She, it also makes her less sympathetic. Like, I'm just, I'm going to go kill a bunch of people and save my daughter. It's like, okay, well, no, don't, why? Why, yeah. why kill the security guard? Because now that security guard's family is going to have to grow up without that guy, you know? Yeah. And so, like, it made her a lot less, like, uh, I don't know if Eleven should really even, <laughs> you're better off with Hopper. Yeah. We find out Eleven's name is actually Jane, and we find there was another girl with Eleven that was a little bit older that was named the number eight. And that's when, and we find out where she is, and she's in Chicago, and that's when it leads us into episode seven, the detour episode. Now, I don't have a problem with this episode. I really don't. Neither do I, to be honest. Some people do, though. I don't, so it's an entire side story. Yeah, I, I can, here's the thing. I, while I was watching it, I did not have a problem. And then I went and I listened to a few podcasts, and apparently this was like sweeping the nation. Episode 7, biggest travesty. It's the lowest rated one on IMDb. It's like every episode's like a 9, and that one's like a 6. And I was like, okay. I understand that it completely removes us from whatever's going on in Hawkins, and it's an 11 solo adventure. I'm all for an 11 solo. Like We've been building to this. I'm okay with this. In fact, I liked it because the idea of finding the other numbered children didn't even like occur to me up until the very beginning of season two where we saw eight. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, we're, now the universe is expanding. Now, on the level that people have a problem with it where – well, this sh- show should just kind of be contained to Hawkins, and once you leave Hawkins, it doesn't feel like the show. Okay, I'll give you that. I understand that. And then the whole, well, we're leaving the main narrative, and, you know, we're leaving what happened with Will. Well, the entire episode six, we didn't see anything that happened with Eleven. So maybe if they had done something where they just kind of intercut between, you know, they mashed six and seven together and made those two episodes of the normal format. But I like when they try to change things up and try to introduce something new like this. And I hope they do more of it because I don't want this show to just be, well, we're in Hawkins for eight or nine episodes and it kind of follows the same formula. 
this show, there's so many different things that they can do. You know, we've we've only seen eight and eleven. What about all the others? Are we ever going to meet them? You know, what is going to happen with eight? What was her name again? I forgot. It's something with a C. Oh, Callie. Yes, with the, no, something. it's Callie with actually with a K, I think. So yeah, so them coming together and whatever that is going to be with her and and Jane now, and do we call her Jane or do we call her Eleven? She hasn't specifically said to anyone. She hasn't said to like Mike. Oh, by the way, you can call me Jane. Yeah. She hasn't done that yet. So I'm you assuming like me Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that that would be a really cute costume. Them being Tarzan, Tar- and Tarzan and Jane. So I'm assuming that it's okay to call her either at this point until she specifies. But I really, aside from it getting really dark and her almost murdering a man with the children in the other room, which we didn't know up until, you know, almost the very end of that. Up until that, I was like, you know what? I want her to have this this time to figure herself out and go leave. And even if, even though it's only like a day and it's just a bus trip, it feels like something that's necessary for the character. And sure, you take us out of the episode, you take us out of the main narrative for an entire episode. I just, I, I feel like this happened on Mr. Robot last season where for an entire, almost an entire episode, this the show played out like it was an 80s early 90s sitcom yes and i was seeing reactions from people saying this is the greatest thing i've ever seen on a television show to people saying fuck this show i'm done and i just i don't get it like as soon as you change something and try something different for one episode that's like the worst thing in the world that's like killing off a main character or something like that. I didn't have the problems with this episode that other people had with it. But I, some of them are very valid, and I do understand where these people are coming from. I just didn't have them. I mean, if it was intercut with what was going on with Will at the lab, I guess that would be an easier pill to swallow. However, they took risks, and they swung for the fences. Like, you and I, well, we enjoy like. Like at least I brought up with Andy DiGenova and I when we did our Dawn of the Dead review, Zack Snyder he takes chances like he did the unfilmable comic book movie with Watchmen, Batman v Superman, Man of Steel he takes chances with that. Shows that also take chances and they have episodes that really stand out like last season with Flash the musical episode, like the lowest rated episode of Flash which I think it's my second favorite episode of the series, or Seinfeld when everything goes in reverse. Yeah. I love that episode. Yeah, or you think of how many episodes of the X-Files, like, when they were supposed to be, like, cops for all of a sudden, where they're being followed by cameras and everything. Um, and then you have these, or, like, Law & Order, when it's no real crime, when it opens up with the execution, we just follow the characters for they're dealing with the repercussions of that day. Those episodes will stand out to you because they are unique. However, like I said, you take chances like that, you're not going to please everybody. And I understand, like, because my sister thought it was too quick. that They crammed too much into one episode. If it was spread over two episodes, maybe it would have been okay. Because we have 
Eleven go to Chicago, meet up with uh, with the wannabe warriors, and <laughs> kind of like Grant Morrison's uh, The Invisibles as well. And then uh, Inventors of Babysitting. That's what came to mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I so gets on the bus. I'm like, where's Joe Kidd to get her the hell out of here at this point? Like, that's like the first. Like, as, soon, as soon as they show Sears Tower, I'm like, well, uh, there's gonna be a little girl dressed as Thor up there. I mean, um, and so and then we have the and I love this. There's an article because I'm like, this is very X Men like because I made the joke. And I, I Googled that, and there's an entire article called the, pretty much the Dark Phoenix Saga in Episode 7 of, of Stranger Things. You go to denofgeek.com, that has a huge article breaking down the story arc of Jean Grey and her progression as a character, doing with um, Emma Frost and everything, and how 8 and 11's relationship is very similar to like that. Then you have the moment where... Callie's telling her to channel her rage into her powers is very much like how in X-Men First Class, how Charles helped Magneto use his powers, the great ability to move a, a uh, satellite dish, kind of like how Eleven uses her um, abilities to move a train car. And I love at one point, it's a reoccurring motif, they sample a John Carpenter score. There was a... And from Escape from New York, there was a 10-minute scene with Kurt Russell robbing a bank, and he did a score to that. And it was the lead scene. It was never part of the movie, but he wrote part of the music, and that was part of the soundtrack. That's their theme song when they're going out and everything. Oh, because that was one of the pieces of music from this season that immediately jumped out to me. And on the soundtrack, it's called We Go Out Tonight. Right. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we haven't mentioned it, but the actual music on the show, not just the needle drops, but – the music on the show is beautiful yes. and we love the music. Um, it like, it hits right in that sweet spot. And that one in particular really like it, it like I noticed it like above all the other pieces of music in the show, which I really enjoy, but I noticed that one. So that's, that's a John Carpenter. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And so we follow 11 become part of this kind of group that like all these people have been, messed with and kind of they're all outcasts getting revenge on the people who've done harm to them and so they realized that since the 11 was able to find find these people with their mind they could she could track down all the people on their hit list to get them and so kind of if only oliver had her in season one well like he could have cleaned up the city in one night he would have been done he wouldn't even need diggle yeah pretty much i mean like he would have said you failed the city so many times at night and everything you have failed this city. <laughs> just arm swipe and throw them off a, off a roof. Um, and so they tracked down one person who was part of the experiments that, that Papa was doing to Eleven and was there when Eleven's mother became a vegetable. They go to kill him. And I love that, she, that Eleven gets her makeover and she gets, looks like a pretty much like a like, kind of like Ali CD and like a breakfast club yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, and she's looking bitching at this point is the word <laughs> <laughs> they would use. And then Eleven realizes that this guy has a family and she's killed before. She has, but it was in defense. It was not murder. And that's when she turns against the group. And that's when the cops chase them down and they separate. But all those people presumably got away. And so we don't know what happened to them. So that's a dangling question. I hope the Mohawk guy got caught. I didn't like him. Axel, yes, because he's an asshole. The thing with those characters, you know, the rest of the gang, mm-hmm. you know, aside from eight, is that we don't get to know much about them. Yeah, I mean, you can tell maybe, oh, yeah, the, the bodyguard is, you know, he's he's a sweetheart, but he's just, he's gigantic. And, yeah. 
But the rest of them, it's kind of like we don't learn much about them. I feel we don't really need to unless we're going to meet them again later on. And they all looked very distinct. So they didn't really – because you had the Mohawk guy and you had some – you know, some of the, the women were very distinctive looking. Yeah. So they all kind of – they all kind of fit like into like, you know, these different kind of character types, which I mean – for the limited time that we spent with them, they were memorable. I remember what they look like. You could draw them if you really had to. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you could pick them out of a lineup. Right. So, I mean, for all of the criticism that that aspect of the episode gets and just the hate being poured Is on too much this episode, I, you know, I think you could have spaced it out for two episodes and it would have felt more natural. But, I mean, they can also just skip this episode. And not have to worry about any of that. And as far as they know, Eleven will just show up and and help save the day later on. But I don't feel that it's like this big sticking point that it's like, oh, it ruined the show. It was the biggest misstep. No. It was kind of a self-contained thing. It's still called back to what was happening in in Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Eleven still kind of channeled Hopper and Mike and still kind of saw what was going on and that she was needed back there. And she had to go save them, mm -hmm. which great, a great character moment for 11 realizing that saying that and heading back on the bus and, 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 you know, the sweet old lady on the bus kind of trying to talk to her and stuff like that. I liked it. Yeah. I, I don't have the problems that people have with this and, and it's completely valid if you do have these problems, but I mean, I, we're on the same page here. Yeah, I just wonder if that is because it has so much criticism that next season they will not take a chance like that again. Oh, no. I, I, I read something from the Duffers that say we're going to continue to take chances. Okay. And something along those lines. And they know it's not always going to work. They, up until this point, have been met with very little criticism from fans of the show. Obviously, people who didn't like the show the first time around would you know be harsh critics but from for, for them like their first time getting criticism from people who love the show and saying i love the show i hated this i could see that being tough and maybe kind of discouraging them from doing things like that again but it seems like they kind of know what they're doing with this show and they have you know season three is already in the works there's a season four that's going to be in the works so i mean hopefully they stick to their guns and kind of keep going in the direction that they want to go with. Cause when you start to tailor shows to exactly what the internet likes and dislikes the Tumblr crowd, let's play to the cheap sheets. You get see uh, season three and four of arrow, which we, you know, we've talked a lot about arrow. I feel like we don't need to get into that. Though. No, our feelings are well known about that. So episode eight of stranger things, the lab is overrun. Very much like how, uh, kind of like how the ending of Cabin in the Woods, where all the monsters are let out and, and eat all the people who are containing them. And so, or like Aliens or Jurassic Park, this is going to be a very Jurassic Park thing near the end. Um, Will is sedated because his, his eyes and ears can be, he's a spy for <clears throat> the hive mind. Uh, Mike, Will, Hopper, Joyce, Bob, and Dr. Owens um, try to escape. At the same time, all the kids make it to the outside of the lab trying to get their way in because the power is off. Um, Hopper and Bob decide to reboot the power. Bobber. Bopper. Uh, bop it! 
Ow! Somebody's going to be saying, ow, later on. I'll get to that in a moment. (laughs) And they literally pull a Jurassic Park where they had to go turn on the circuit breakers before the raptors eat them. And so Sean Astin gets his hero moment. He gets to turn on the system, gets them the hell out of there. But he, everybody gets out except for Dr. Owens who wants to make sure because he has the eyes and ears behind the the video cameras in the lab. And... Sean Astin hides in a closet to... Uh, hides in the closet! Um, I thought he was going to lead Bob right to a demodog. That's where I thought the turn was going to happen. Really? Yeah. Just to see what would I happen? I was so nervous. Uh, B- because as soon as he told Hopper, Oh, yo, go, go ahead, go ahead, I got this. I'll get him out. I was like, oh, no. And again, that's where I thought it was going to happen. But it didn't. No, but... If- Bob is leaving the closet and he drops the in slow motion. As soon as it went to slow motion, I'm like, oh no. Drops the the broom. Demon Dog starts chasing him, and we finally, I finally get to see that moment where it's in the trailer with him running down the hallway. Gets to the main lobby, closes the door, sees Joyce, it's still in slow motion. And I'm like, no, no. Boom! Demon Dogs Ugh. attack Bob, eat him, kill him. Gruesome. Yes. I mean I thought, like, he... I didn't think he, Bob was going to be the red shirt of this season, but he was. And and Hopper tries to save him to no avail, and... And it sucks. Yeah. Because people really loved Bob. They did a really... In, in nine episodes, they made people love him just as much as everyone that was around from season one. Yeah. So and they did a really good job with Bob. I, I think because they made him so... Just so corny and just so likable that you couldn't help but like yeah. that. Like, and and it's also Sean Astin, so it's that's kind of built into it. Yeah, it's kind of baked in. But I mean, man, Bob. I know. What about Bob? Justice for <laughs> Bob. <laughs> and so they realize they have to get information from Will, but they can't take him anywhere that he knows because then they know just lead the dem dorks to them. So the kids and everybody are at the Briar's house and they decide we'll use the cat the use this shed and make it look like a Guantanamo Bay interrogation room and decide to interrogate him. I love this scene because the hive mind's pretty much taking over Will's body completely at this point. Except for Morse code that Will's using his the little nerve endings that he has left in the body. Which I loved. I love how Morse code keeps coming back in this show and keeps being something that like because it's it's also a very 80s type of thing yeah kids wouldn't know morse code really today but no. back then like i'm sure they would be that would be something that they would be aware of and kind of especially the more geeky nerdy kids so i love that yeah and then i love the fact that like everybody tell like mike john and joyce all tell stories about will to him while he's telling this and everything but Somebody rings the phone. Somebody calls the uh, phone to the house. And, but, which I didn't question the fact. Like, unless it was like a – I wish it was set up if it was a really distinct phone. And it had a real distinct ring. Yeah. Because it's a phone. If, if, if the four horsemen was their ringtone. Yeah. Or like it was a really dorky thing that Bob bought them or something like that. I mean realistically, there's probably like every other phone on the block sounds exactly like that because it's – 1984 yeah just it's not like we have you know digital cordless phones that have you know the like the different 
type of tones and stuff like that. Like they probably all sound like that for the yeah. most part. Unless it was like if it was like a cuckoo clock phone or like <laughs> yeah or like a a cow phone or the bat phone it, or the bat phone that and, and it makes a distinctive <laughs> noise. <laughs> I'll get him, sir. <laughs> um, and so Will summons the de- uh, Demodorks to them before they knock him out again. Everybody prepares himself. Like uh, Nancy has the hunting rifle. Um, Hopper has a machine gun. Lucas has a slingshot, and everybody's preparing themselves. And, I love and, Lucas with that slingshot. And um, Steve has his, his spiked bat. Everybody's ready for what's going to come, and all of a sudden you hear a rustling outside, and one of the Demodorks gets tossed through the window. And finally, Eleven is reintroduced to Mike, and like have their brief reunion. We've been building up to this moment for this entire s- season. I mean, I thought it was the perfect timing right there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I, I shed a tear or two. I loved that. It was just like, it was so well earned because as we didn't touch on this, but 11 kind of peeked in at the school before she went off on her whole quest to find her mom and go to Chicago and all that stuff. She saw Mike with Mad Max and thought that there was something going on romantically between them, yeah. which obviously was not the case. But, because the and, one and, moment they're actually being nice to each other yeah, happens to be so pretty that, Yeah, that's the moment. And I felt so bad. But I was also like, oh, no, please don't let Eleven's whole deal for this season be she's heartbroken, she's angry, she's going to go off and seek vengeance. I think it was a little bit more than that, especially the stuff with her mom. And that was just kind of an underlying thing. But I'm really glad that that did not um, – that was not played up for more than it was. It was. A CW it would have been CW. That would have been the entire season. Yes. Of of Mad Max and and Eleven kind of you know being frenemies or something like that and, yeah. and going in that sort. But I mean, it was Mike and Eleven are probably the sweetest couple in all of television. Yes. They're not even an official. I mean, I guess you can call them one by the end of the season, mm. but they're just the sweetest couple in all television and. It's so well-earned, and they're so great, and you love both the characters, and it's just good to see them together. Even better that she just saved them all from being killed viciously by these demodogs. Yeah. And you know that Eleven's back. Now we're going to get into the climax, and shit is about to go down. Right. Great great way to end an episode. Yeah. I mean, that's just the best thing. Like, one of the best things about this show is, A is that the transitions from scene to scene, there's usually a match cut where there'll be a sound, like somebody will close the door and the next scene will open with the door opening or somebody will light a lighter and then you see a candle being lit in the next one or a light being turned on. And each episode starts really well before it goes to the intro theme. And each episode ends on such a great cliffhanger. And with this format, you're like, I can't go to sleep. I have to watch the next episode. And so the final episode... Eleven and everybody decides like, are right, we if we cut off the we if we close the gate based upon Will's suggestion through Morse code, we cut off the hive mind. <clears throat> excuse me, cut off the hive mind from everybody. Every, all the monsters that are here on Earth. So Eleven Hopper go to the lab. Um, Nancy, Joyce, and John take uh, Will to the cabin to perform an exorcism on him. Uh, the kids are on the bench, stuck at the buyer's house, and Hopper and Eleven have their reconciliation at this point. In this scene, that like they they say they're sorry to each other, and I love the fact that like Hopper's not too upset about how she's looking right now. She doesn't look so country. He actually he says he likes it. Yeah, and it's it, it, it's like it's bitching, and Hopper's like, 
bitching. Bitching. <laughs> um, this house is bitching. This house is bitching. <laughs> and so, and then when they get, when everybody gets to the cabin, uh, because the, they realize, all right, he's attracted to the cold. We're going to turn up the heat literally on Will to pretty much get the shadow monster out of him. Why did no one think of this before? Just throw him in that bath. Yeah. I like. I mean, and I love the fact that everybody else is sweating in that room at this point because there's so much heat being generated. Yeah, I here. could feel the heat. Yeah, it was the heat at the moment for sure. It, oh, <laughs> oh, they could have got Asia. They, they, that that might have been after. Yeah, that might have been post eighty four. Because everything has been continuity wise before that. Because especially, I love the moment where there's somebody on the lawn has a Reagan and Bush yeah. eighty four uh, thing, a lawn uh, sign. Yeah, and then. Joyce kind of goes crazy here to trying to get the shadow monster out of him. It's really... She wants vengeance. She wants to get... It's really scary. It's like, I mean, and for her internally, it's like, this is still her kid. Yes. You know, being possessed nonetheless, but still her kid. And yet, just turning up all the heat, cranking it all. And Jonathan's like, you're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. And no, she keeps going. She keeps going because she just wants her son back. She She's so, like... Winona Ryder, she fucking kills it. Yeah. I mean, she killed it in the first season, but the Byers family, I mean, Jonathan's all right, but the Will and Joyce, they really know how to get those intense emotions out. And that was a really tense, that was probably even more tense than them being surrounded by the demon dogs in the bus or them being trapped in, uh, you know, in in the pathways and all the demodogs are anything with demodogs. This was more yes intense than that because there's no monster. You know, there's no evil CGI creature. Yeah, it's just an exorcism. Yeah, and it's looking at these actors and the way they're reacting and you like seeing the heat and the way it's it, it's really it was probably the most intense scene for me of the entire season. And then, of course. The rest of the kids go down because they realize they have to draw the dogs away from the lab because then Will, I mean, then um, Eleven and Hopper will not be able to get to the gate itself. And so, but before they do that, Billy shows up to the buyer's home looking for his sister. And Steve finally gets to his pure moment standing up to Billy. And he does get a few good looks in. He does. However, he's going up against a Power Ranger. (laughs) <laughs> and the Power Ranger does kick the ever-living shit out of him. And I didn't know what was going to happen here. Yeah. And I love Max's moment, who's been a, a, so... Been like a punchy bag. Not a, We don't know. Not a literal punchy bag. We're not seeing anyway from Billy. But finally gets her moment to get her revenge on Billy. And I love the moment when she does grab the nail bat. And Billy's laying on the floor. And he looks up to her sister after he's been drugged by the last bit of drugs they've been using on Will. That she brings the bat down in between his legs, right, right near his crotch, and like, I even like, I'm sitting in my chair, and I literally just went like, Ugh! I s- sat up a little bit because I'm like, oh god, and I lo- <laughs> it's like you don't need to do that, Mac. Yeah. You could just allude to that. Yes, and it would have the, the, the same. point was there, but yeah. like she, like her arc was done by standing <laughs> up to her brother and everything, and so, and Steve wakes up, it's. Max driving Billy's Trans Am, speeding. All the kids are in there. And Steve's kind of out of it. He's like, what? No, slow down, slow down. And so they all agree to go into the tunnels where oh, where Hopper was being held by, uh, by a monster. And going back to that, when he was attacked by the tentacles and everything, I'm like, I've seen videos like this. They do not end well for Hopper. Um, and so they 
set fire to the tunnels. Dogs leave the lab, heading back towards it. Eleven gets to close the gate, and pretty much like how dark, like the Dark Phoenix, like in X Men comics, is kind of like how born the very same way. I didn't think Eleven was going to make it out of this. I thought that was going to kill. It her. was going to drain her. Yeah, and, like t- yeah. And, and like, because both nostrils were bleeding at this point. Yeah, and and th- that's true because you only ever see the the one nostril yeah. bleed, and yeah, that was a that was a really 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 like and now, it's her kind of yelling and screaming and you know, using her powers on CGI, which yeah. is not the most, you know, it's not the most gripping thing you're ever going to see and it's kind of it's one of those things where you're like okay we this is the only way that this can actually be done so we just have to go along but i feel that millie bobby brown got exactly what she needed to get out of that to where it's not just like hey i'm gonna use my superpowers on the cgi haha this is you know yeah it it, it, the the struggle and the pain and to the point where you thought that she was going to die from it I thought it completely worked in that regard and where people have the, oh, you know, they did a lot more digital effects in this season. But it's like, all right, what do you want them to do? You know, I understand there are some people who are like, I don't care about the monster. Just give me the real life humans and that's all I care about. And you can allude to the monsters and things like that. And I'm fine with that way. Then there are some people who are like, I want to see the monster, but I want it all to be real and Mm -hmm. practical effects and also not look like shit. Which I'm sorry. How are we, how are we gonna how, how, yeah. how are we gonna do a 50 foot Lovecraftian creature that's gonna be coming in from another dimension? I'm sorry. How can you tell me to do that in a puppet? I'm like I'm sure you've done that with the Alien Queen, but like for this, it, it's necessary so I can buy that. However, going back to that man, because I saw Thor Ragnarok earlier today, and it's a big CGI fest at the end of it, and I'm like, yeah, this is really intense and everything, and it's a big climax. But the fist fight between Billy and Steve had more weight to me personally because I think maybe it's just because it's just two people slugging each other out. And sure, it was not bombast or anything, but yeah. it's just two people going fisticuffs. And then I, I wanted to see like, or what other things, like what other kind of conflict like that I can do that. So I watched a clip from Raiders of Lost Ark where Indy, Indiana Jones comes face-to-face with one of the big Nazis and has a fist fight with him. And that is still compelling. And I wonder if, we just too desaturated, too big CGI finales for everything, which we can get into a little bit later. Well, I think they did a good job of giving us kind of a best of both worlds, or maybe even three, because we had, like we said, we have the exorcism, which yeah. was a really climactic, intense moment. Then we had just the straight up fist fight, which in its own way was a big climactic moment and a very realistic we can actually be a part of this in real life kind of moment. And then I'm trying to escape the tunnels. Yeah. And and then you also have the big climactic CGI supernatural, you know, 11 closing the mm-hmm. gap, which you, if you didn't like that, you might have liked the exorcism or you might have liked the fist. There's something here. There's a mixture. It's like using a mixture of practical effects and CGI. Yes. They did a mixture of all these different types of big ending fights and big boss battles that if you didn't like one of them, maybe you liked the other one. Right. So I feel that the criticism of it being just, oh, yeah, she's going to scream at CGI and her nose is going to bleed, that doesn't really hold a lot of water because even that in and of itself, I think that 
the actress did a great job in that scene. And you also got these other really satisfying moments. I mean, it's not satisfying seeing Steve almost get bludgeoned to death. Yes. I was very worried that they were going to, that he was going to die or, yeah. or, or something. And, and it turns out that his face just looks like chop meat. Yes. But Steve really, and it just goes to show you how Steve has come around to be a character that we love in this season. And I'm glad that they went that route and didn't have him be the antagonist for Nancy and Jonathan mm. because for as much crap as people are giving the Billy character and saying it didn't work, I'm still glad that he was there because that freed up Steve to be heroic in his own right. Right. And also be a cool babysitter. Exactly. And so we see him as a babysitter once again at the very end where he takes Justin to the snowball that's happening. And Dustin's used the fair faucet hairspray in, in his <laughs> recommendation. He has his hair kind of done in a similar ve- vein. Uh, we see Nancy working like the entrance table to the ball. We know he's she's doing the fruit punch uh, stand. And we see Mike gets to dance with Eleven, shares a kiss. Uh, Lucas and tries to dance this too, asks Max out to a dance, but eventually they just go. Dustin can't get anybody to dance with him, which was really sad. Yeah. Even Will got like a random chick came up to him. Yeah. Because like he's he's the weird kid. Hey, zombie boy. Like like okay, I'm not gonna question that. That felt a little bit convenient. Yes. And not earned. But I understand that you can't really set up a romantic interest for Will Byers throughout the whole rest of this season. But I mean. Because they would detract from Max. Yeah, and he's he's a good-looking kid, you know. Dustin is set up to be more of kind of like the dorky, more unattractive to girls mm. at that age. So I like that they went the route of kind of having Nancy be the, you know, kind of like the, the friend's older sister who yeah. are kind of like, hey, you know, girls at this age aren't, you know, give them a few years and, yeah. and that, give them the pep talk and, and give them the dance. So... My whole thing was the use of music. And first of all, the music budget for this episode must have been like bigger than anything. Yeah. <laughs> but the use of music in this episode to me was was great because as soon as Time After Time was playing, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a great song for, for Eleven to come in and them, and them to have the dance. But they didn't do it Time After Time, no. which I thought if you're lost, you can look and you will find me Time After I th- would have been a great song for yep. Mike and Eleven. But as soon as every breath you take came in, I feel like my heart like sank <laughs> and then took the elevator all the way back up and then dropped back down again. And it was like, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And, of course, you have to cry because it's Mike and Eleven and it's it's the police. Yeah. And it's just a great moment. And then, of course, Joyce is outside making sure everything's fine. Hopper and Joyce have their moment, which I thought was really sweet. And I love the fact that, like, obviously, and then Dr. Owens, who lived, it forges a birth certificate for Eleven. So it's actually in that Jane is actually now Hopper's officially daughter. Um, and I love the fact that um, that we've, we've seen Hopper smoke cigarettes throughout it. I thought they were going to do the character arc thing. Like, he gave up cigarettes by the end of the season. But that Joyce smokes like filtered cigarettes and Hopper smokes unfiltered cigarettes. And like the earlier in the season, when she goes to take a puff of his cigarette, it's a little too strong for her. But this time at the end, like she's fine with it. And he just puts his arm around her. And it's just a really sweet moment with them at the end of the dance. And I love 
of course, Eleven coming in and just looking gorgeous, like all done up, and Mike, Mike still being emo, just kind of like, like nobody loves me and everything. That he gets to finally stop being so emo, and everything seems to be okay. But then we transition to the upside down world where the shadow monster still lives. And then the creepy aspect of every breath you take is yeah. accentuated because as soon as it. You see, and oh shit! You remember how fucking creepy this song is. Oh yeah, it's a it's a like it can be so sentimental or so stalkerish. And I, I love the music video of that. It's all in black and white, very stark, and like and like um, what was it like? Everybody's like flitting and like kind of profile and everything. So you yeah. kind of black and white. So you're like, oh, this can be a really creepy song. But uh, yeah, so that is the end of. Season, season two of Stranger Things, but let's jump into characters. Um, let's start with um, Hopper and Eleven. Let's talk about them first. Your feelings on their characters in this season. Well, again, I said it before. Eleven was really, you know, starting off from being sheltered and being secluded and isolated and really longing to be out in the world and be with Mike and kind of going on this whole journey where she discovers, hey, my mother's alive. This is what happened to her. This is who's responsible. And then having to make the choice of, okay, am I going to murder this guy? And this is the route that my life is going to go on. And I'm going to be with you know, the cast of The Gifted and <laughs> that this is what it's going to be. Or am I going to go be a hero and save my friends and, you know, go be with Mike and go be with Hopper and, you know, have kind of a family dynamic going on and making the choice that is that makes it interesting for season three because we now know that given some time, Eleven or Jane will be able to integrate into the world, into society Eventually, I think he says, give it a year. Yeah. And then Hopper negotiates, well, what if she just came out for one night for obviously for the snowball, right. which I thought was great. You know, this time next year, Eleven can integrate into the world and, and can go and be with her friends and can go. So that the whole journey of going off and doing that for episode seven, if that's going to be what her next season is, is that she's going to be able to become sort of like a regular kid in a way. Obviously, it's not going to go swimmingly. It's not going to go off without a it's hitch. It's a new kid school. Yeah. But if that's going to be the direction they go, then I'm glad that we got this whole kind of vision quest out of the way now. This way, there's more of that built into the character, and she's already made the choice that she needs to make. Now, Hopper... I thought just so he's like the best dad and he's not even the real dad, mm. you know? And while people might say, Oh, well, he didn't have as much to do this season. He was more kind of saddled with 11. You know, he, he does, he gets into a lot of stuff. I thought they killed him when he got, when he was overtaken in kind of like the, the Demogorgon graveyard, yeah. what they call it. The way that they cut to then the above ground and the song that was playing, I thought that they killed him. I really thought they killed him. And I know it's if you don't see the body, then he's not dead. Yeah. But I honestly thought, oh, no, are they killing Hopper? And I'm so glad that they didn't. But there was a lot of, of emotionally intense stuff going on with Hopper this season that I didn't expect to ever like him as much as I do at the beginning of season one. 
Mm. You know, I didn't, I, it was like, oh yeah, it's a small town. Here's the, you know, here's the cop. We've seen this a million times, but right. you love Hopper. You, yeah. I think this, this is going to be a theme for all these characters is that I love them, which is that mo- in most shows, there's a few characters that I'm really attached to, you know, maybe a main character, maybe a side character. I love all these people, you know, they're, they're all, I'm all really invested in all the characters. So I think that's probably why this show is so great for me and that I don't have the problems with it that a lot of other, other people have. Cause I just fall in love with all these different characters. Right. And I love the fact that like with Hopper in this season that like you took the parents who are parents to kids like that multiple kids, the mistakes they made with their first kid, they will try not to make it with their second kid. And I love that fact that I feel like that he's trying to make up the fact of like losing Sarah, that he just want to lose 11 the kind of the same way. He doesn't want to lose her like that. So maybe he's overprotective and be kind of like a helicopter father because of that. But he means well and he does want to be sweet. But of course it is frustrating being, I guess a parent can be very frustrating, especially with uh, a, like a kid that's going to become like an adolescent and teenager. Like I hate you. I hate you too. And, and, that turned up to 11. Uh, oh! How did we not make that joke? Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I bet you season three, there'll be 11 episodes, <laughs> just just for the sake of it. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, with 11, like trying to be a normal child, but also being trapped in this, this cabin for an entire year, wanting to re- trying to reach out to Mike every single night and can't, and just being fed up with it and you and that's why I that's why I buy that episode 7. I buy her going on this journey and doing this. And so that's why I, I loved her in this and I, and I love and it's a natural progression. None of it seemed far-fetched. None of it seemed like it was a writer's discretion they wanted to go in that that, that realm. Like I can say that about all the characters here. And so that's why I, I enjoyed love it. I'm curious to see where they're going to go further and how their relationship, I mean is going to be changed as they coming out that he's actually her father and, and everything like her stepdad or anything and how it's going to be in like family functions or town yeah. functions around town. And does he get together with Joyce? Yes. And do they kind of become like this, the Brady bunch, this super overprotective power couple? Yeah. And like, how does that all play out? And then there would be some interesting dynamics between Will and Eleven who we never really saw them together in season one. So it was interesting when this season, you know, when Eleven comes back and says everyone and says, how is he? And goes to see Will. And his, I, it was kind of like a moment where I like, I was like, oh my God, They've never been we've never seen them together, but yet they're so like strongly connected in this weird way. So I'd be interested to see them maybe all living under one roof. I'm, like imagine that, like that in and of itself lends to so many different things you could do for season three. Uh, so I think it's a good bring up point. Let's talk about the Byers family in general, Jonathan, Joyce, and Will this season. Well, Will, as I said, I think Noah Schnapp was one of the strongest performances throughout the entire season. Just the things that he did and the, the subtleties and the nuances of his character as he was being slowly possessed by the shadow monster or the mind flayer, as they came to name it later on in the season – I thought he was just awesome. Like, really, really, like, imagine how good this kid's going to be in five, ten years. Yeah. You know? So, him just being just such a... You can even just look at him and you get... You read all the emotion that you need to read and, and take from 
from that scene and that moment, you're just looking at the kid, you know, he has such a look to him and he has very expressive eyes. And I thought in season one that he looked a little bit too similar to Mike, you know, yes. they have the same kind of hair going on and, and similar features, but I think now that they've both grown up a little bit and they're starting to look very distinctive, they look like they could be brothers almost, but they look different enough to where they you get a whole different vibe from both of them. Will, to me, was one of the strongest parts of this entire season. Joyce was – she was already great in season one, and Winona Ryder is kind of like a tour de force in her performance, so – it's, it was just more of more of that. She kind of takes a back seat in a lot of regards, considering how she should probably be one of the most, you know, one of the characters you're most emotionally resonating with because her son is just continually getting abducted in these different ways. But I feel that whenever she is on the screen, she becomes the central, you know, focus of whatever scene she's in, which is cool. And then Jonathan, I mean, I felt like he could almost not have been there and a lot of stuff would have played off the same. Now he needs to be there for the different beats like the the dissension between Steve and Nancy, you know, that he has to play into that. And of course, you know, he's Will's bigger brother, so he kind of plays, takes a back seat in certain respects to where he's always kind of serving what Will is doing or serving, you know, what Nancy is doing. So he becomes more of a background character for me and not someone that I think of as like a strong central focus of anything. But he of the main cast is probably the least likable to me. And I don't know if that's more than Billy. Oh, I mean, Billy, I consider him to be a secondary character okay. of the main, you know, the Byers family and the main, the main cast. I think he's probably the least likable and the, the least, he has the least to do. And Nancy is, feels like she is more important to the part of, to the point of like, she almost feels like more of the Byers family than Jonathan does mm-hmm. in, in some regards. And, and sometimes it's easy to, to forget that, oh, yeah, Nancy is Mike's sister. You know, she's a wheeler, and Jonathan is, is the brother because Nancy feels that important where, like, she feels like she's the main, you know, part of the main family because Nancy kind of takes that, you know, that, that front seat. Um, but the the buyers in general continue to be, like, this this – the broken family that you just want to see them. You want to see it work for them. You want to see the happy Christmas dinner at the end of season one. And you want that to go all right. And then you want to see things work out for them at the end of season two. And you just want them to be kind of okay and not in complete disarray for an extended period of time. So, uh, from that regard, I think they still, you know, the right, right. The way they worked in season one, I think it's more of the same for the buyer's family. And with the regards of like how from season one to season two with um, Joyce, that the fact that she's acting so protective and everything does not make her sound like a crazy person anymore. <laughs> Sir, sure, some of the people in the town still think she's crazy, but Hopper doesn't. I Bob mean, doesn't. Will probably like when she opens the bathroom door. What are you doing? 
Peeing. <laughs> like she's totally, like, she's totally, like over the top and like in protective of him because she does not want to lose him again. And also, sidebar: I forgot how how short Winona Ryder is when she's staying next to the kids and they're like the same height as her. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, she is tiny. Anyway, and uh, like you said, she brings her A game to it that she does not phone in whatsoever. And I would not be surprised if she wins another Emmy for this season. I, I, I'm pretty sure she won for the last season. I'm pretty sure I, I could definitely see it happening again. And the fact that she can still have a quote-unquote real normal life by having a, a successful relationship despite going this traumatic experience from the last season and that her relationship with her kids are still as strong and – like, they don't resent her or anything. Jonathan is still the kind of outsider, but still kind of likes Nancy, and but doesn't... He doesn't really, like, pine after her, and again, gets in the way between her and Steve and Will. Um, I feel bad that he's stuck with that bowl cut. Because, I mean, <laughs> I, I had that bowl cut when I was that age. Or that, a little bit younger, not that when I was that old. But... Not the, all, 11, not the only bad wig. Of, yeah, uh, and I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry, Will. But I love his progression of, like, him being a traumatized kid and becoming a possessed person of the shadow monster and coming out on the other side being successful. I'm curious to see what he's going to do with the next season. And like first season, I thought he was kind of a wet blanket because he was not in it that much. And he was just like, Oh, he's the damsel in distress, so to speak. Yeah. He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the absent victim. Yes. That the whole crux of the season, but you don't really see him that much. So you don't, which is why this season was like, he came out of nowhere really and was one of the strongest points of the whole season for me, which is why I think he's a tremendous actor. Yeah. And that's why I think, like, he, he is my MVP of this season. And he just does such a tremendous... And I love the end of it in episode nine where he is possessed and he tries to defend himself against his mother and everything. I think that was really strong acting for him. And with Jonathan, um, when they're in Murray's uh, bunker staying overnight, oh, yeah. and they and they do they do sleep together. They go to the bone zone. Yes, and I love like like no yeah like I'm just gonna go to bed and everything. And they slowly walk away from each other, close their respective doors. Moments go by, and they immediately like, they jump into bed together. And like being in that position where you're just kind of like yeah yeah, this, you had those feelings for a person. You're like I I I get. Maybe I'm just like I'm a timid person to not be able to make the move like that, so I, I I identify with that. And of course, like you said before, his the best joke of the entire season is the following morning. It's when all it's Murray at the head of the table and Nancy and um, Jonathan on the other side facing each other, and they're having breakfast. Nancy's got a smile on her face because she had enjoyed her evening, and Jonathan's trying to play like kind of quiet. Like, we didn't just do that. And Murray's like, "So Jonathan, how'd you enjoy the pull-out? <laughs> what? How was the pull-out? <laughs> like, and then, and then like, he drops the egg. Yeah, it's like Oops. couch. Like oh, the couch. Oh, oh, and it's like Nancy just smiles. Like she's not even mad about. It. She's like, I don't care. Like he 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 calls out of being a couple anyway. So you know what? Why not? Um, so I'm curious what's going to happen for season three if he's going to be in it. If this drug um possession uh, charge does not go away before the filming of it if yeah if he's allowed back into the country yeah. i mean who knows how that's all going to play out i mean worst case scenario he could be the first death of season three yeah would it have to be an off-screen death i mean we don't know at this point there's all the spec speculation but yeah that could that could potentially be bad if, if that doesn't get all squared away just why just don't do drugs like what the hell yeah dude come on you look like a drug drug addict. Don't be the drug addict, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so after that, and so 
I thought they were all they were all killer. Let's go to the rest of the party. Um, D- uh, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas. Mike, Dustin, and Lucas. Uh, I love these kids. Yes. I mean, that I think that's the whole when you when I think of Stranger Things, I think of the kids on their bikes. Yes. And I think that was like the bait for people like us immediately. It's the kids on bikes kind of ET thing where we're like, what's this? What's this? A <laughs> <laughs> new dastardly plan? <laughs> what will Batman do next week? <laughs> yes, Bill Dozier well, narrating. Yeah, David. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bill Dozier kind of narrating us <laughs> discovering Stranger Things. But it really, it plays right into kind of the stuff that we've grown up on and that we love and movies like E.T. and captures that. And you think of the kids and you can't not think of that. I mean, there there were no, there were a lot less kids on bikes moments this season. I don't, were they even on the bikes really a lot this season? Um, in the first few episodes they were because they, because they almost got ran over by. Oh, that's right. That's on, right. In the car. But we never get the kind of headlights on. We're on an adventure nighttime. No. Type of deal. We don't have a van somersault over their heads. Oh, well, that, that was such a great moment. Yeah, a cool fucking cool. Even moment. like the the CGI does look a little ropey when it lands behind them. Like, I don't even a, care. It's a TV show budget, so I'm not. Yeah, gonna get I don't even them. care. I don't yeah. even care. It's like, but I love these kids, and I like that they kind of gave Lucas in particular a lot more to do because he was just kind of the slingshot kid. In the first season, I love his little sister, the, no, sass, uh, the sassy little sister, <laughs> the, the code red, the, uh, the sister, and then I love when Lucas is talking to his dad at the dinner, like the breakfast table, and like how do you make mom happy? Well, I get her what she needs, and then the problem goes away. <laughs> that's how I make her happy. And like that's a marriage in a nutshell, right there. And of course, like the sister just being such annoying little kid to her older brother. Yeah. And that that part was was played to perfection too, and you know just seeing more of kind of like the friendship of them hanging out at the arcade and things like that, and and the more calm moments of the season, I would totally be down for just like these kids hanging out and playing at the arcade, and like it doesn't need to be this big supernatural story. I love these characters so much that I would just love to see them inserted into Freaks and Geeks or The Wonder Years rather than this show. Like This was the best year of my life. <laughs> I, w- I would honestly love that, you know, but I, I love the show as is, but I love the characters so much, especially the kids, that it would be cool to, to just – I want to see what's happening in between all of the horrific, potentially, you know, town, everyone gets murdered, you know, the big supernatural villains and the big – Lovecraftian monsters. <laughs> I'd like to see the stuff in between. I think that's the mark of a good show. It's like I want to see what's happening in between yeah. the seasons, as opposed to like, well, you know, I really don't need to see what happens in between like a season of Arrow because it would it wouldn't be this you know it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be you know unless there would have to be a big story. Otherwise, we're just seeing them going about their daily lives, which would seem just boring in comparison to everything. But if we were just seeing these characters go about their daily lives, I'd be totally into that. Yeah. Now, Dustin, as I said, infuriated me with the whole dart thing. But by the time he was teaming up with Steve, I was I was on board again. I was, you know, ready to forgive and forget. <laughs> because while, you know, kids do stupid things like that. 
you know, a kid would take in a stray little squid monster thing mm. and think that it's going to be his friend and just eat three musketeers with him. A kid would do that. Now, these kids have a little bit more knowledge of an entire other, you know, plane of existence that could be potentially deadly. So for that, I deduct some points because he should have known immediately that this probably came from the upside down. You know, my friend we thought was dead, went missing. This whole thing happened. I should probably let someone know about this. Yeah. And I kind of hated that. But like I said, by the time he was teaming up with Steve, I forgot all about that. So... It just goes to show you how even something as infuriating as that on this show, it's kind of like water under the bridge just just simply by seeing two characters who never really interacted before, seeing them together. It's such a special thing on this show because we love these characters that it makes up for infuriating behavior on the part of another character. Right. And Mike? Mike, uh, he was – kind of like the main character of season one for me he's he was kind of who i identified with in season one the most which is why it was kind of weird that to have will around and have him kind of take over a lot of that and then to have mike kind of just play this kind of background emo kid they actually called him emo mike on the set the yeah kid, the kids said they so i i just wanted to i wanted him to be happy i wanted him to be with 11 i'm glad that he didn't mope for the entire season. I'm glad that he was hands-on working with the buyers, trying to get Will better, trying to figure out a solution to this thing. I'm glad that he was he was very valuable in that and wasn't just kind of the mopey, kind of grumpy, you know, doesn't know where the love of his life is and, and, and kind of just reeling from that and if he'll ever see her again. Because a kid at that age... If a kid has such strong feelings, you know, feelings of, of love for, uh, you know, another, a, another kid at that age, that could be very confusing and very frustrating. And you could, he could, he could have just locked himself in his room and never came out and never did anything. The whole season could have taken place around him, but that wouldn't have been Mike. So, uh, Mike continues to be one of, one of my favorite characters on the show. And I'm, I'm really, really happy that. They got the kiss, they got the dance, they can move forward. When Eleven integrates into society and can become Jane, I'm excited to see them and how they can coexist and officially really be together, not in secret and not with all this distance and weird stuff happening. So um, I I love these kids. The kids are the heart of the show, and I think they all do a really good job. It's interesting that Mike was the the main character in the first season, and I feel like he becomes – and season two is such an ensemble piece. First season was an ensemble piece because it's a, it's a sprawling narrative. However, this is like, like – we have like one character. Like We have like – season one is like, kind of like E.T. and Elliot and uh, that story. This is like, all right, we have like two dozen characters, and this is like these stories are going to be all intertwined with each other. I feel like that is a slight detriment against season two because he kind of falls into the background. However, he's surrounded by so many interesting people, especially within the kids themselves. And it was nice to see Lucas get his moment because his biggest thing from season one is that he has a fight with Mike and they split up pretty much. The party kind of falls apart for a little bit because of their feelings of 11 being there. And 
Otherwise, Lucas didn't have that much to do in season one, in my opinion. And I think giving him that he he's infatuated with Mad Max and that it becomes successful and that he's he tries his damnedest with it to explain that this all the stuff that happened in season one is real and I'm not making this up. I'm not just trying to impress you. This is a real story. This is this has really happened. And that he has his moment, that he has he gets to dance with and he gets to kiss with her just like how Mike has with Eleven is I think it was very satisfying. Um, Dustin, I I agree. It does seem like it is contrived for the sake of it, keeping that secret. And like, I understand kids would do something stupid like that. However, you did dealt with an interdimensional being that came here and your friend died or supposedly died at one point. You've seen weird things come out of walls and your friends have disappeared. And all of a sudden, a weird slug thing has grown up to be a huge size and it's still growing. You don't question the fact that it might be dangerous in this town. But like you said, it's all made up because like the best like bromance of the show is <laughs> is is Dustin and C. Because I texted my sister, I want a spinoff of them going from town to town. I want a supernatural with these two kids. Yeah. Like, that's the TV show yeah. that I want with the two of them just going in there, this beat up Honda and just going up and, yeah. and stopping monsters. Nineteen seasons of that. Sign me up. Exactly. I want them to fight the four horsemen while blasting Metallica the whole time, and so. And then how Dustin, like, I, I, Dustin not being able to dance at first and him being upset about it. And then, of course. Relatable. He, yes. And then him getting kind of teary-eyed about it. But then he gets to dance with the older, elder statesman of the school. And, like, all the girls that he tried talking to at first who brushed him off realize, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And it's kind of like a geek's revenge at that moment. And his mother, like, is just so nice and everything. But... <laughs> How the fuck are you explain the cat's gone? Yeah, that was a that was a weird thing. For and then me they, this they obviously have gotten a new cat within the month. Like okay, and you hope to God that like she doesn't like you said that her son's not a killer and just like slaughtering animals in the woods or something. Not Jeffrey Dahmer in in the making. And so that that was a little uh, curious about. They're a little funny about that. But moving on, let's talk about Nancy and Steve. And their progression from season one and season two and their dynamic here. Nancy, this season, I mentioned one of my favorite parts of the season, her kind of becoming Nancy Drew, as you said, <laughs> which is still great. But I, I really, really think that there is like potential there for her down the line to become like a cop or a detective or, or something like that. Or I feel like she's going to do something really important you know however long this show lasts and i and i hope that we you know we get many seasons of this show and and that we can see follow her story follow this story but i feel like she is set for so many great things and it was all kind of here in this season where we saw the birth of her really using her intelligence and using her mind to kind of you know be deceitful and and you know, be deceptive and, and kind of trick this shadowy organization and, and kind of get truth out there. And she has to be some sort of investigative journalist or, or something like that, or a detective. I really enjoyed Nancy this season. I felt like, like I said, Jonathan took a backseat to everything that she was involved in. And whenever they were on the screen together, it was Nancy and, oh yeah, then there's Jonathan too. Uh, Steve. Now this is where I was kind of like, uh, I kind of want them to just be happy together and Jonathan can go, you know, piss off, whatever. But how can we be the bushes taking photos? Yeah. Uh, 
I, I here's the thing. I love Steve so much that I want him to be with Nancy, but I don't think that they necessarily need to be together in order to, in order for Steve to still be a part of this story anymore, because we've now seen his very strong interactions with Dustin and him kind of being the babysitter and being really heroic. And I feel like there's a value in Steve beyond just being Nancy's boyfriend. So. In that regard, I'm okay if, you know, they just kind of do the separate ways thing, but they, you know, I Worlds guess. Worlds apart. <laughs> God damn it. They got to go on a journey, you know. God damn it. It's Steve Perry. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Uh, let's just don't stop believing. I don't keep oh, making jokes like this. God I'm damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> Who's crying now? Oh, oh, oh faithfully, I, I, I will, will keep making jokes with this. All right, I'm done. <laughs> but the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Oh! That was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Just lost all all the listeners. <laughs> if they made it this far, I think they they know what they're in for. But uh, but Steve Steve is. I want him to become like this cool vigilante with a spike bat, like a Casey yeah. Jones. Like I said, like it's so cool that he has a signature weapon. It's that's so cool to me that. I just feel like I want Steve to be around as long as this show is around in some form or fashion. So love Steve, love Nancy. Gotcha. Love Stancy. Stancy. Uh, yeah, I agree that Nancy finally, like, she obviously was a driving force in the first season, but this one it really solidified. And I agree with you that she feels like she, she was going, I could see her becoming like April O'Neil or Lois Lane and that becoming very much I've been I'm just imagining her in the yellow banana suit now and everything. <laughs> um that she's like the truth is out there kind of person and making sure the justice is it will be done or being an investigative person and And that's not like that's not like a cliche. Oh oh let's give Karen Page something to do. Yeah. That's like, no, she's really good at this. This could be very helpful in this show this is what she should be. Right. More, more like Iris on The Flash, where she would use her when she was a journalist. Now she doesn't really do anything. But when she was, she would kind of use that to to help out Team Flash and kind of forward the story. So it's valuable if she does that. Right. And I do find it interesting with this relationship. I just um, thought about this while, while you were talking about uh, Nancy and Steve, that they became a couple when she lost her virginity to him in the last season. And and then this season, it comes to her head when he spills red punch on her. Oh, ew. Yeah, ew. I, I, I understand. Like, I understand. Like the kind of deflowering thing. I know I don't want me to be gross or anything, ew. but but I feel like it kind of kind of bookends their kind of relationship at that point because after that, that's when they have the argument, and that's when Nancy says, "Like it's bullshit." It's, Bullshit! <laughs> that was hilarious. That was like, I'm like, mm, that's a, like, have, like, I was asking, like, I would have gone, like, after, like, a take, like, okay, um, have you ever been drunk before? Let's cut out, like, seven of these bullshits, maybe? But no, it's bullshit! Like, are you drunk now? No! I'm fine, I'm good! I'm like, alright, well, I guess roll two cameras, we're gonna do this once, guys. Um, because it was a bit much. But I, I do like that, the kind of idea that she's not gonna be with Steve anymore because... Their relationship just represents pain, pain in, you know, the deflowering and yeah. also the pain of having Barb taken away from her Yeah, at exactly the same time as that. How could she continue to be with Steve? Right. So I like that. That's actually symbolic. And that, and of course, Steve, like, is hurt by us and he does the kind of shitty thing by leaving there, leaving her there, but he does redeem himself by being 
this kind of older brother figure to Dustin because he is like an only child that doesn't have that and being on this journey and like along with his signature hair he has a signature weapon so he has an outfit for him and keep the glasses he had for, he had for Halloween there you go like I could see people cosplaying as him and, oh, or yeah. something like that I would totally be Steve yeah <laughs> I mean he's always got like he's always got a, he has to like Negan from The Walking Dead has like a run for his money for like signature bat weapons now because he has a barbed wire right now Steve has his, his nail bat and and I, I am curious to see where their relationship is going to go because he's obviously still longing for Nancy at the very end because he does look at her while he drops off Dustin at the snowball. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. And then especially with Jonathan in the picture, I'm curious what's going to happen. But I loved him in this season. And I love that he kind of redeems up on being the kind of Biff character in season one or could potentially be just the Biff character, but he actually becomes a three-dimensional person Yeah, we, we, we got, like, we kind of got, like, where at the end of part one, Biff is okay now, but here's, you know, we needles exist yes. too. So Billy is kind of like the needles and Steve is, like, the good, possibly gay Biff. <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, I washed up for you for tonight. <laughs> Keys. <laughs> oh, oh, hi, Marty. I need a new book. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And this immediately just as soon as he could fly a car, he just reverts back to that. Um, so yeah, love those two. Um, since we brought up uh, Billy, Billy and Mad Max. Mad Max was, you know, at first I kind of got the same vibe that you get in season one, where Eleven kind of divides the party, and. Mad Max, in her own way, a kind of mythical figure to these boys because they're probably not, you know, the most adept at interacting with girls. This girl kind of speaks their language. So in a way, it's kind of like she fits like a glove and is a little bit different. I would like to see them maybe try to interact with girls who are not like these, these like kind of, kind of weird kind Outsiders. of outcast and out yeah because that kind of gets a little tropey but i liked mad max i i thought the character could have been you know when you introduce a new kid into this group it could be like whoa 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 what are we doing here hold on now exactly how mike treats her yeah and that could have easily been the way the audience felt but i don't i mean i don't know what the prevailing the consensus is on mad max i like mad max i like the um you know the the bond that she develops with Lucas. I like that a lot, and and also gives Lucas something something more to sink his teeth into, in terms of story and kind of emotional stakes and things like that. The love triangle I could have done without, honestly, because I felt like Dustin had enough going on with Dart that he probably would have been so distracted with with this little creature that a girl would not even enter the equation. Yeah, but. All in all, I think it turned out for the best, and Max getting, like you said, kind of the revenge on Billy, you know, you know, uh, knocking him out, and then with the bat and everything like that. Um, that was, I mean, first of all, anytime there's a needle involved in anything, I'm kind of yeah. iffy, but just yeah. like stabbing his neck and, you know, he didn't get completely knocked out by it because I'm sure whatever they were using was, you know, it was Will strength, yeah, it not, was, it, not Billy strength. Somebody who's like yeah. a foot taller and maybe 80 pounds heavier than him. Yeah, so I Billy, 
I don't know what they're really going to do with him other than turn him into a comedy character that can, you know, get jiggy with Mrs. Wheeler. And do the, and do the hopper dance with and him. Do the- <laughs> <laughs> While listening to Metallica. Yes. Like, I'd like to see him, like, go set the mood and put on anesthesia. <laughs> Bass solo take one. <laughs> it's the rise of that uh, Joe from Wayne's World 2. Do you want to listen to music? Got any Megadeth? <laughs> exactly. I, I I don't know where they can really go with Billy because he's been kind of like dethroned and kind of they Max and Billy share a look at the end of the last episode where uh, the last time we see them, they kind of share this look where he kind of knows like, oh, yeah, you know, you could have totally like destroyed my genitals with that bat, but you didn't. So who knows what's going to happen there? Um, I don't know if he's a redeemable character. I guess we'll see. But I fully anticipate there to be a lot of comedy with him in the Mrs. Wheeler thing if they go in that direction. So it'll be interesting to see the direction that they go. But then they're going to need a new human villain. In So that kind of scares me. It's like, oh, no, are they going to turn Steve again? Are they going to make Steve an asshole because he can't be with Nancy again? So that's where I get a little bit concerned for the next season. Hopefully they don't go that route, though. Yeah, I mean, it could be like he just ends up being like how Steve is in season two, where he becomes a ally to them, or finds something to be a dick about again, and he can just go revert back to him. Or he can get really upset that Fade to Black was on Ride the Lightning because oh fuck the ballad. Yeah. So that that could be like his main fuck ballads. F- fuck ballads. <laughs> in the words of some Cliff, some Bur- kind of, Cliff Bernstein of the some kind of monster documentary. Um. That whole, like, he could just, he could double down to being an evil prick and, like, finds people that share his kind of hatred to, towards people and really can cause shit in Hawkins. Like, um, so yeah, that, that could be potential, or he could be a good guy. I mean, it was weird, interesting, because he would give advice to Steve, especially when they're playing basketball and dealing yeah. with women, but he was doing it in such a dick way. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, am I supposed to hate this guy or not? But then, of course, he does come face to face with Steven and they have to go fisticuffs with each other. And that there's so much potential with him, but like he was, he's in there with, he's, I think he's, he's up there to the level of a Biff Tannen or what's his name from the karate kid that Ralph Macchio has to face off of. And the first karate kid that he's in that level of being a really bad, typical eighties bully. So did wasn't he dressed as Johnny in the the party scene? I think so. At least from he Co- wearing, Cobra Kai, yeah. He at was, least he wasn't wearing the skeleton. If he was wearing the skeleton suit, then it's no, really no, like I'm I'm pretty sure someone or maybe it was was the friend. Someone was dressed as a Cobra Kai in the in the the house party scene. Because because I think I think he may have had the red bandana on yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um and then with Mad Max, it could have easily been like, "Oh, this is it's eleven two when it comes to relationships with the group. Yeah, or immediately just fall into it, but no, that she's separated from the group and then has to. They have to really try to have her like her, and they should reverse them as stalkers for the longest time. And it's funny because they call her Mad Max, and she's a ginger, so like ginger anger problems. But easy, easy, easy punchline, and that she upstages Dustin as a video gamer, and that Lucas is just spinning with her because she's she's well-versed in D&D culture, doesn't believe him. And sidebar, the dude working at the arcade, Ugh. 
he was a creepy dude, like creepy like kid working in Jurassic World on one of the rides. And I just saw him in a shaving commercial where he plays the exact same person working <laughs> at a supermarket. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I'm glad you're getting work, but you just kind of look like the <laughs> – like, he looks like – he's the kind of person that would go in a panty raid. Yeah. I can see him doing that. Yeah. He's like – he he's – so like he is reddit like he's the, <laughs> he's the human embodiment of reddit to me <sighs> like that's what he will be like in 2016 in 2017 in that universe like he's oh man he was gross yeah really i want to date i want to date with nancy <sighs> as he eats his him turtles. him showing mad max into the back room could have been oh god so horrific yes like, I was worried about this. I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> like, I don't feel comfortable now. I need an adult. Max needs an adult. Um, so, yeah, and that, that she becomes an integral part of their role. I'm curious to see where it's going to go from there on. Because we never we, – she had a moment with Eleven at the end trying to say, oh, so you're Eleven. And Eleven just brushes past her because she's still kind of ticked off about that moment that her and Mike had while they're in the gymnasium earlier on. Which is never really addressed. No. I presume they're going to address that in the next season and have their relationship and have their friendship is going to be at odds because they're the two – because it's the cliche. Girls can't get along with each other because girls are crazy and they know how to each other work, yada, yada, yada. Which, so, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so tropey and so – So I'm like, I'm like, it's like, guys, like, I'm like – I like you, Levin, and I'm like, I like you, but can we just all be friends? I wonder if that's going to be the dynamic in the next season. Yeah, I, I, I want to join it, and, like, they're already super best friends. Yeah. Like, that's what I, that's what I want to see immediately in season three. Um, so, yeah, that's why I really enjoyed them, and I'm curious where they're going to go forward with her. Um, uh, let's say we've got a few characters left. Let's, like, wrap this up quick. I mean, Bob and Dr. Owens. Bob. Yeah. Justice for Bob. I loved Bob. I think, you know, we I've sang the praises of Bob all episode long. I'm so glad that they didn't go the route that we thought he was going to go. And I'm glad that he went out a hero and he yes. had that moment. I feel awful for Joyce, though, because all the emotional trauma that she's gone through with Will. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you're in this awesome relationship. He's dead now. Yeah. Like, that sucks. Like, that's just, that's awful. And yeah. she's already kind of starting to turn towards hopper which they have history so i don't i don't see that as like oh a little too soon huh you know the body's not even cold but i think something could you know potentially like we've talked about with with joyce and hopper i think it makes a lot of sense and i i like that so as much as i like bob I would, I would have no problem if they went in that direction. I don't think that's really spitting on his memory. I think that they will continue to reference Bob like, oh, yeah, he, he started the AV club in, you know, in, in the middle school. And he – like them referencing all that stuff, I would like them to continue to keep the spirit of Bob kind of alive like they have with Barb. Bob, Barb. Hmm. Yeah. I just, no, I, I just noticed yeah, that. If you, you start with the letter B in your name on this show, you are – You're done. You're like – you're potential dying, so yeah. – Billy, I think you're next. <laughs> Billy, you're, you're, there yeah. will be no justice for Billy. Yeah. He will not make it to see Injustice for All. Uh, I was going to make that joke, damn it. Uh, and so, anyway, Dr. Owens. And it's it's curious with uh, with Bob that, like, you needed to set the stakes that somebody needed to go. And so I just feel bad that we just, like, Sean Astin, he, he turned in a great performance, and a very loving performance. He's watching Mr. Mom, and he's laughing his ass off with it. That was great. And everybody else is like, oh, you're so dorky and you're so corny, but that's what's so charming about you. And we needed to have this. Like, we needed somebody to need to go. It just sucks that it had to be him. And I'm just kind of sad that he's not going to be around next, right for next season unless we do flashbacks. But 
and your feelings of Dr. Owens. Yeah, I was just waiting the whole time for him to, you know, flip the switch. And an evil scientist. I mean, with an evil scientist, I mean, with a scientist in general, in, in this type of show, you always have to be a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Um, and I think you can still be a little bit suspicious if he's around in season three, although he has done, you know, some solids and he, he is, you know, helping out Hopper with Eleven and, and things like that. So whether or not that gets, you know, that gets compromised or and he gets corrupted somehow or, or something happens like that, I mean, he may be a casualty of season three. We don't know. I thought for sure that he was already going to be dead. I'm kind of curious as to how he is was not killed by the Demodogs. Why they let him live. Why they let him live, you know. Um, so that was immediately suspicious to me. But I mean, it's Paul Reiser, and the whole time you were just waiting for him to be evil. So I was more, I was very shocked that that he did not turn out to be evil, and just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with that because I don't think that if he's going to be around, I don't think that that's going to last. For some reason, how you articulate, like I don't know if he's going to last. I think I just thought of ninety percent. I love my computer. Yeah, I love my computer. computer. <laughs> for some reason, that hey up. Jackie boy. Um, yeah, this, my ADD was firing right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, with Paul Reiser casting him, you were immediately suspicious of him because of Aliens and because he's such rich with eighties nostalgia. You're like he's going to be a Burke. He's going to and he's a scientist at the Evil Lab. Of course, he's going to pull uh, a fast one, despite how nice and kind of cozy like how everything he thinks everything is normal and normalize everything and so i understand the suspicions i had the suspicions that i thought he was going to turn on him at one point or that he was doing experiments behind hopper's back despite saying we're doing our best or everything but no we see him trying to contain the portal that the gate that's there and that he tries to make sure that will will live and is easily could have been in that moment when they're talking the round table of all the scientists of what to do with the mind, uh, the hive mind that's in Will, and that we can kill this, but it'll kill Will, and he could easily said, "All right, let's do it." Kill Will, Volume Two. Yeah, and the, but like, no, he's going to think of something else. And I thought that was a really defining moment, and the fact that he's willing to sacrifice himself at the end, or like leave himself behind in order for to get everybody out of the building, which is really awesome, and the fact that he forges uh, documents to make sure that Jane is actually part that he is. Uh, the rifle guardian of her. So I thought really cool. I'm curious if he's going to, what he's going to do in season three. I'm like, I'm, is he going to be the next casualty for season three? Um, uh, eight and potentially Papa still being alive. Yeah. I think, I think the Duffers have in interviews mentioned that, Oh yeah, he's, he's around. He's alive. Somehow escaped the lab last season without being killed. So yeah, who knows really, um, he's always been a big question mark, so um, I'm sure he'll come around at some point, and I'm sure that there will be a big arc, you know, stuff with him and Jane and 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 Callie. Um, now, you know, eight. I like the idea that there's another one of of these kids out there, you know, with the abilities and and the fact that that you know they're you know they're they're sisters and everything like that, and kind of have that that bond between them. I can easily see this going down, you know, the road of there being, a, you know, a big superpowered battle between them at some point, which should Professor X and Magneto. Yeah, and um, you know, do it because 
as opposed to Eleven battling CGI, this would be Eleven battling kind of like almost a mirror image of herself. So, and they have slightly different powers, which I appreciated. Um, that Eight can kind of like the fear toxin on Gotham, where it will show you something that you fear that's not really there, and it'll make you go crazy. She can make things appear to other people that aren't actually there, but it seems real to them. And cloud people's minds. And cloud people's... Yeah, so I like that they have a different power set, and I like that they have this bond between them, and, you know, who fights better than family, so it'll be interesting to see when that clash eventually happens, because you know it's going to happen. And where they leave her off, you know, whether or not they come around and they embrace, you know, you know, and and are on good terms or or whether there's, you know, there's consequences to that. I, that's all stuff that could be season three. Hell, that could be season four. You know, there's a lot there that they can do. So I like expanding the world. Who, you know, why wouldn't you want to expand the world? You know, I know that now there's been backlash on like expanded cinematic universes because people, you know, one movie sucks to the majority of moviegoers and all of a sudden cinematic universes are bad. We shouldn't do this anymore. We should go back to 1993. You know, it, yeah. I like expanding the world of these characters. So I'm all for it. And I, I'd like to see, I want to see eight. I want now I'm really curious about seven because sevens should be really scary. Cause seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I'm giving shit for all my lame jokes wherever I go, wherever I may roam, and oh, oh, that, that's a dad joke right there. Oh man! So I'm very proud of myself. I'm sure you are. You know what? Like I, I'm not gonna give you a ten for that one. You're gonna get an eleven for that one. Oh, oh, oh man! So I'm curious, like if because look, when this this season opened up, because every season should or like. Should start off with a bang. It is did start off with a bang with a car chase and everything, and so, but like for the next four episodes, I'm like I was I was looking around like if there was anybody else in the room with me. Like, are we gonna get back to how this season opened? Like, we didn't. I didn't just hallucinate like that, did I? But when they did, I was happy with that. And that eight tried her damnedest to make eleven a stronger person, but definitely was steering her steering her in a direction that could be questionable. Yeah. And manipulating Eleven at one point by showing Papa still alive in front of her, a la uh, Ra's al Ghul in Dark Knight Rises right there. That's immediately what I thought. Like, I'm immortal. Can't, uh, and it's like, oh, no, no, I don't want him being alive. And, and, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. Uh, yeah, the cowardly line is Batman there right there. <laughs> But of course, more Matthew Modine in my life, the better, because I'm always I'm always happy when I see Matthew Modine on the screen. And so I'm curious if he's actually still going to be alive. And with eight, like I can't see it like being like Professor X and Magneto, where they have these two groups of people and they're going to clash at one point. Yeah. And having a big superhero showdown in the middle of Hawkins, I, I'm 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 open to anything at this point. I just want to see yeah. what's going to happen. Um, Last character, Murray. <laughs> Drops the egg. Oops. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's about as sketchy as it gets. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, he he helped uh, he helped Nancy and and Jonathan go to the bone zone. 
and he also kind of set them on on the path that they needed to go to get justice for Barb and really I think opened Nancy's eyes to a lot of things that will probably come into play for her character for the rest of the show. So and he was also very funny. Yeah. And it was fun and that was a nice kind of it was levity and it and, you know it was, it was some some nice humor injecting into, you know, what is often a very tense and, you know, intense show. So he was he was a riot. I hope he comes back. Yeah. Nobody complains about that sideline storyline that was going on. No, sure. no. Granted, it was not a whole episode dedicated. Well, they didn't but... leave Hawkins. I think as soon as as soon as Eleven left Hawkins, I think that was like opening the floodgates for people to just shit all over it. Yeah. And like his first scene, I hated him. I was like, oh, God, he's just going to be the annoying character that everybody's going to have to deal with. He's going to have to get punched later on. But no, that he's actually a integral part of helping Barb get justice and helping Nancy and Jonathan get the word out there and kind of define who they are going to be as people later on. And I love when Hawkins is being shut down by the military. He's sitting outside like the lawn on a lunch area. He's like this drinking his, his vodka and water and the military is just flipping him off yeah. and driving by because he blew, he blew the whistle pretty much by sending out all this information to several different newspapers. So the, the mainstream media descended upon this town. And so, yeah, like I thought I was going to hate him, but I loved him. Yeah. I think this show does a really great job of subverting, you know, all these tropes that you think, oh, well, Bob is going to be this and he's going to do this. Nope. Oh, Murray's going to be this and he's going to do this. Nope. So, like, for as as much as people can say, oh, the show is tropey, it's derivative, it's blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, there's a lot of – they subvert a lot of your expectations a lot of times. And they co- go off and do things that are like, oh, yeah, this is how it should be. So I feel like they improve on a lot of different tropes and a lot of different character archetypes, especially in this season. Right. And now that's – so we talked about all the good things. Let's talk about the things that annoyed you the most this season. Well, I said it before, the whole dart thing with Dustin. Yes. And I, I kind of laid out why that why that annoyed me. You know, I didn't really have a lot of a lot of qualms with this season. You know, there's I often, you know, I'm not a big horror guy and I'm not really the biggest sci-fi person. Like anything that gets too alien or too monstery, you know, aside from like the alien movies or, mm. you know, things like that. You know, more really well-made films. Anything that gets too relying on monsters and stuff to be scary and, and be, you know... I, I kind of check out mentally, and I, I don't know why that is. I'm not as into the whole big monster thing. So I like that this show really doesn't... Um, it's not all about how scary the shadow monster or how scary the demodogs are. Um, but I could see that kind of turning some people off where, you know, the big shadowy monster and the big CGI thing that has to be eliminated and stuff like that. It's not necessarily annoying to me, but it's the one thing where I could, I could see, you know, a criticism of, but that's the story that they're telling. So it's kind of central to, to the story. I, I love this show and it's, it's a thing with me where I I don't want to call it a blind kind of acceptance, but if I love something this much, like I'm going to love every second of it. And even if there's something that I don't like as much, I still love it. I still love watching every episode of Seinfeld, even though maybe there are some episodes that I'm like, Oh yeah, this one's just okay. It's not really that good or whatever. I still love watching it because it's my favorite show. I love watching it. This is similar. I'll go wherever they're going to take me, whether they're going to leave Hawkins or whatever they're going to do. I'll go along with that. 
to a point, obviously, once you start to betray the the viewer and and do things that just hurt the show and and aren't fun and aren't good and aren't in the spirit of the show, that's where they start to lose my trust. But up until now, everything that the Duffers have done, they've retained my trust and it's just increased. So I can't say I have too many criticisms. Yeah, I mean, the only problems I have is that like something I brought up before that since this is so relevant or so reliant, I should say, on nostalgia for the 80s, that things that are made today in a modern sense could not, could possibly get sidetracked to things that are like, oh, just pure nostalgia pieces and pure nostalgia entertainment. It could set a bad example, like how I brought up when we talked about The Dark Knight and how that kind of set bad trends for movies afterwards. That could be a thing that could happen out of this. And the other big problem I have with this, as I drop my notes, is that since, like, we had two seasons and it's successful and they're saying that season three and possibly season four, how much further can you go with the upside down? How much further can you go within this confines of this little town without it getting too big and too blown up and too out of proportion for it that the viewer says, I can't buy this anymore. How much shit could happen at this small town where it does not affect the national level? The thing with E.T., when they kept the press out of it, we we see that it's just like the government's there for only a small amount of time, and it's only very public for maybe 24 hours, and that's when E.T. leaves and the story ends. Something like this, and if it's going to go on for another two years, like how can it be like uh, where you don't see it and like people in New York knowing what's going on at Hawkins, Indiana? And then how much further can you string this story along? Like, sure, stories can go on, like, and, like, there's been times where, like, you look at The Wire. It was such a great first season. Second season was good but not great. Seasons three and four were fantastic. possibly the best TV show that could be. Season five, okay. But, it, it, but it's obviously, it was law of diminishing returns. And he, I have my problems with certain cinematic universes going on for too long. And I'm like, all right, I, I'm, I'm losing interest in the story. Or TV shows that are going on too far. And, and my interest is waning. Like, is it better to burn out or fade away? That's the kind of burning question I have with season, with the upcoming seasons of Stranger Things. Like, how much further can they go? I do not know. I hope, like, is like I like I mentioned before, I had my criticisms going at this one, and I was, I will say, I like this more than season one. Me too. So, I'm not saying like I'm just going to be like arms crossed, like, well, I hope season three is better than season two. I'm not going to be that. I'm open for that. I am. I will eat my hat. I will say, because like. I've said on in the Real Fans Message group that I was not the biggest fan of Spider-Man Homecoming. Then again, I was in a shitty mood when I saw it. So if I watch it now, probably much better place right now. I probably enjoy it a lot better. I will I will admit when I'm wrong or the fact that Danny Elf was using old themes in the Justice League, I'm a little hesitant about. Yeah. So, but if I, if it's if it works within the context of the movie, I'll admit I was wrong. That's my biggest concern for this. That's like it's going to get too big or it's like or there's not enough there to be small. Yes. Like, they're going to have, oh, they're going to have to nuke the town at the end of season four or something yeah. like that. Like, that's what it's going to have to be. So. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's, like I said, I, I put my trust in the Duffers, the creators of, of this series, that they have a vision for it because they seem intensely focused because I've listened to a few interviews with them. Right. They seem very much like they know exactly what they want this show to be and they seem to have some sort of a plan. So I put the trust in them that they're not going to do anything like that. Now, 
that remains to be seen. But yeah, for the time being, lost, they had a plan. They knew exactly where they were going with the loss, <laughs> and it turned out to be total horseshit at the end. I, I mean, they built up the goodwill with me, so right. I'm I'm willing to go, you know, wherever wherever they're going to go, and you know, I think we're drawn to these shows that you know a lot of really incredible things happen in a small town, and you know, in real life, of course, that's going to attract national attention, but you know. I can watch Riverdale and accept that, you know, there's all this crazy, you know, murders and, you know, serial killers and, and all this crazy stuff going on in, in, in the small town. And it's also Archie. And then there's also, you know, across the river, there's also Sabrina the Teenage Witch who's going to be introduced. So it's like, I'm willing to go with this stuff because it's fun. So yeah. that's the main thing with Stranger Things. It's fun. It hits all the right buttons for a person like me and a person like you, I think. And, I'd be willing to spend, you know, every, you know, late October around Halloween around this time. I'm totally willing to spend, you know, for the next few years a huge amount of time binge watching Stranger Things the new season when it comes out because it's the right time of the year, it's the right show, hits the right buttons, so I'm all for it. Bring on bring on season 3, I say. Totally. Um the music. Oh. The needle drops and the score. You know, I've been someone who's gotten really frustrated with a lot of the needle drop stuff that's been going on in a lot of movies recently. Like, Suicide Squad is basically like some, video. someone put on their Spotify playlist and was like, okay, here we go, and here's the next song, here's the next one. And it gets – it's very distracting, especially because sometimes it just seems like these songs are picked so randomly. Mm. And they're just thrown in there and they're distracting. Now, Stranger Things is period. And being period, it's like I, I go into this wanting to hear the songs of the time. I want to see the old logos of companies of the time. I want to be immersed in that time. So if you're going to play the Four Horsemen and, and you're going to play, you know, Scorpions and and, all, and, and the police and, and Cindy Lauper, I'm with it because I know that it enhances – the time periodness of the show. And I think that they've been really good in picking songs that are appropriate. The appropriateness of the four horsemen. We will continue to have, yeah. have that debate. You know, we can, we, maybe we can consult them on, uh, on metal matters and all, all the stuff that relates to that. But the original music for the show is, is it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there are so many similar sounding scores and you know music cues in a lot of kind of like sci-fi fantasy superhero those type of that type of those type of shows and movies these days a lot of it blends together and right from the get-go the stranger things theme it's distinct it's it's nostalgic it feels familiar but it's very much you can you can recognize it almost instantly and i think a lot of the music it's not distracting but it's good and you know it's good because it helps you feel what you're supposed to be feeling at at the right time and then occasionally there there will be a cue that really jumps out at you and and you're like oh i gotta go i gotta look up the play the 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 soundtrack on spotify and i gotta go listen to that because it's a great piece of music so i think all across the board musically it just it home run i i can't say enough good things about their use of music in this show and it probably brings it home for me that much more Right. And the fact that it has needle drops and they're very 
period specific. And they make sure it's not like the Goldbergs where it's just random 80s, where so we have the entire decade of music to be selected. But like, no, we have to be stuff up until this point. And right. we got to be we and like continuity wise and like making sure brands are correct. They've been very vigilant about using, um, even to the point of like the little like the VCC or the VHSC or the or the little VHS yeah. uh, technology had to be connected to the VCR and how that was be very specific. And like there's like I think Bob had a Dr Pepper can and like how the can shape is and the logo, and then with the music. With the score, I mean, I love when, like, I started season two, and then, of course, like, Netflix gives you that option now to skip intro, and, like, the first, like, kind of, like, tweet I had, like, no, I messaged on the message board, and, like, I, the real fans group, like, like when I'm tagging what I'm watching, I'm like, skip the intro, I'm like, Netflix, do you hear these synths right now? Exactly, I never skip the intro for Stranger Things. No, and, and I, and since I've become such a fan of synthwave music over the past, like, year and a half, and a lot of it's become, like, introduced to here that it's not just... Of course, it's very John Carpenter, like, or it's very, like, very much like Van Gaal's or Tangerine Dream. But they're all, and of course, they'll use either old tube-driven Moog synthesizers or anything like that. But of course, they'll use their own, like, iterations and plugins to make it kind of a mixture of it. Actually, um, Kyle Dixon and, and Michael Stein, who do the music for the show, they oh. actually use the old keyboards. Okay. They do. There's actually, there's a podcast called Song Exploder, okay. where it kind of, like, artists will be on and they'll kind of dissect their songs and they'll play isolated different tracks and, and kind of break it down. Um, similar to music of the mat, except we don't have isolated tracks of wrestling themes. I right. wish we did, but, uh, Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein were on song exploder, breaking down the stranger things theme and kind of playing all the, you know, the individual tracks and like, Oh, here's, here's the bass. Here's, bit. here's the Roland Juno bass. Here's this synth. And they do talk about, yeah, we use the actual keyboards and um and that's what makes it so because you can do that with plugins you know and you you can make it sound really authentic but it's However, it, it's that extra little nuance that hey we're we're using the keyboards we're actually doing it the way that it was done in the eighties. You think of like uh, for musicians that it's like using solid state amps or tube amplifiers or for filmmakers that are shooting on film or shooting on digital there is a tactileness there is a sense of authenticity to it and it obviously shows and going that extra mile has obviously paid off in spades for making the show very unique and i'm just waiting for i'm pretty i'm not sure if it's out on itunes yet that the the score for strange things because i want to download and listen to it on repeat for the next year um it's out on spotify now i know okay it's it's out gotcha uh favorite scene of this season I know your favorite, like, the least favorite is probably going to be stuff with darts, so I'm not going to ask you that question. Oh, man. Favorite scene? Uh, probably Eleven coming to save the day. And you know what it was? Because you had every main character all in that room at the same time, which I thought, wow. First of all, we have a really big cast, and we've added more this season, and we they've never really been all together like this i don't think like as this big huge group especially with the new people so that was an 11 coming to save the day and have that moment and then be reunited with mike all of that was like that right there completely just i was so happy in that moment it's funny because that's my favorite moment too <laughs> especially because you because you've been waiting for it it's been so built up to it i know the Duffer brothers almost said have him and 11 reunited for the first time at the ball instead but i think it was appropriate here i think it yeah. needed to be here and just like have them all together side by side as a group as a unit 
and then really become complete with Eleven joining them. I think it's wonderful. I think probably my least favorite moment is probably uh, stuff that really annoyed me is probably anything to do with Mike's dad because ladies, because <laughs> he's the most inept human being on earth. Uh, and and they, they're really like willing to let their kids never be home for days at a time. I understand like like. like it was different then. Like, parents were a little less, like, over the top and, like, cautious about the kids. But days at a time? No word? The whole time? The, the whole time? Uh, so, or, or, like, another, and going back to favorite moments, another favorite moment is when Hopper and Lemon had their argument. It's it's upsetting, but it's this great piece of acting and storytelling that I loved. But, yeah, it's not a lot that I really hated in this season. So, it was sucked to see Bob die, but I like, knew that was going to come. But, other than that, I just really loved it. And final thoughts. I love this show. I love my computer. <laughs> I, I, I really love this show. I mean, how how long have we been recording for? Three hours? Wow. Well, this a three-hour love letter to Stranger Things because, I mean, it only comes around. It, it's not like a, you know, a show that you can watch all throughout an entire television season, of course, 22 episodes and, of course, of several months. Mm-hmm. It kind of happens all at once. Kind of round and round. Yeah. I, I feel like I wrapped around it out for that joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it like you kind of consume it the way you would go see a movie and then it, it's kind of that experience of it's kind of, you know, you need to watch it again and again and again for it to feel like you've spent a lot of time with it. But even though I've spent less time with the Stranger Things, the characters there, than I've spent with maybe a show that I watch every week, I feel more drawn to these characters, more attached to these characters and more involved and invested in these characters. So I think that it says a lot and, uh, I'm, I'm just very excited for, for the next season. And as long as, as long as they uphold the quality of the show and, and stay true to the show, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I agree. I'm, I'm just hopeful for it. And I just want to keep this kind of, level of quality up that's my that's like the biggest concern of any returning show no different here another thing i want to bring up uh uh the fact one i I forgot to bring up before is that the cinematography of this show Mm. that like david fincher when he did house of cards like david fincher director of like seven zodiac the social network he's a big proponent of digital technology who is it by michael jackson yes great music video oh yeah and he's a he loves shooting on red cameras and he loves pushing that technology and since he shot House of Cards on red, it kind of set the standard for the Netflix shows to be all shot on red cameras. Uh, like the, Netflix, the Marvel Netflix stuff is all shot on like the Red Weapon or the Red Epic Dragon. And the same thing here, Epic Dragon for Season 1, the Red Weapon for Season 2. And it's curious how how everything's so detail-oriented. and Because you think of, sure, you could stream in 4K if your internet provider can support that but they're probably throttling you already so that's probably not going to happen yeah exactly especially if you have files um so i love like there was a video uh that there was done about the marvel movies and how their color grading is kind of iffy and how it kind of looks like smudgy compared to the dc movies you can find on youtube and like that's most of the marvel movies starting with the event the first avengers is shot in the area alexa their high-end digital camera except for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. My point is, like, how distinct the Marvel Netflix TV stuff and the the Marvel Netflix stuff versus the movies and how 
it's supposed to be the same universe, but yet how choosing a right piece of equipment for the right job can really alter that and how it's used for this show. Like, like I'm a big proponent of things being shot on film and film preservation. However, I use digital technology in my own work because that's what I can afford and everything. But I'm watching the show at one point and I'm like, this is just gorgeous. Like, like, sure, it could have looked good in film, but I don't think it would look right. I think it, this needed to be shot digitally, and it, it worked perfectly for it. And it, there's always a potential of shooting period with digital and just look false. Yeah. Like, especially, like, you think of, like, um, like Gangster Squad. Like, it's very stylized, but, like, that's a third, a 20s movie shot with, just like, digital stuff, cameras. Like, mm, something's amiss. It looks too fake. It looks too soap opery. Um, but it works appropriate for this, and I hope they keep that that quality going forward. I like the way they degraded the intro. Yes, I think that looks really cool, and how that's very distinct from like first season and everything. And then how, of course, how the upside down world looks and everything. But um, now, so you don't have social media anymore. You've kind of given that up, and so do you have anything you have to plug? Sure, uh, I do a podcast called Music of the Mat on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network with my buddy Andrew. Um, so ch- definitely check that out. Follow on Twitter, at Music of the Mat. Check us out on iTunes, Audio Boom, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, I'm, you, know, keep, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled for some, some different endeavors that, that may be happening, maybe involving a certain person whose name starts with the letter T and, and maybe in this room with me. Maybe, you know, we'll see. Yes, we're going to put a pin in that. And so look forward to news coming from that. And of course, you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2, uh, my Instagram, T Rooney 1012, my Instagram, I mean, I mean uh, my YouTube and Facebook pages are the same banner of Through the Lens Productions. My latest short film, DD, is up. And if you like this uh, show, subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a five-star and a written review. If you really enjoy it, it helps get the word out there and people outside of and out in the world can enjoy this lots of kind of programming that you do. And I'd be able and knowing that people listen to it. It kind of, it does energize the, the, the host and it's not saying we, we just do it just to have fan bases, but knowing that there are people out there and appreciate what you do and what your creativity it's, gives us like unlimited power to like or limited energy to want to make more better content out there for you. But I mean, at the same time, we would have talked for straight uh, for three hours about stranger Regardless, things. Anyway, if nobody's going to listen, like we'd still be here doing it. We're You're just a fly on the wall. Exactly. So I hope everybody's enjoyed this review of stranger things too. And come back next week. We'll have more stuff coming from this channel and everybody, I hope everybody's enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Anything went.